1: Hey guys, Matt Lanfer here with Primary and Secondary. Back in July of 2016, we had an awesome discussion about terminal ballistics. At that time, we called them uh, sit reps. And basically, what a sit rep was, was a, it was a, a bit more structured. Um, it's a lot closer to what we do now with a modcast. And about sit rep number 12, I decided to stop doing them, and they kind of just evolved, it, or evolved into what we're doing now as a modcast. So as of right now, uh, that SITREP 8 Terminal Ballistics is now ModCast 125 Terminal Ballistics. The panel on that was me as host. Uh, We also had Dr. Gary Roberts, Roland, a.k.a. Chuck Pressburg, Mike H., Chuck Haggard, Bill Blowers, author J.L. Bourne, and Matt Meckley. And not everyone's on at the same time, they kind of come in and out, Um, but overall, Some awesome discussions. Uh, We had a really good time talking about this. Uh, Some of the guys really got into sub guns, uh, discussed uh, subsonic uh, ammo, which really was cool. Talking about the MP5 and using subsonic ammo with the MP5, and basically it turns into a pellet gun. But also, Gary got into a lot of the uh, a lot of the information that people are really looking for when it comes to uh, terminal ballistics. So this was a great episode. So. With that in mind, enjoy ModCast 125, Terminal Ballistics. The following primary and secondary ModCast is brought to you by Forge Tactical Training. Forge Tactical is focused on supporting the mission of our nation's armed citizens, law enforcement officers, and military professionals through evolved, realistic training. Hey everyone, Matt Lanfer here with primary and secondary. This is Sitrep number eight. We're going to be talking about terminal ballistics. This is a hot topic. Uh, there's a lot of mis- can not even talk already. There's a, already a lot of misinformation out on the on the web in on forums and Facebook. It's time to get to the bottom of it. First, we'll do some intros. Um, my background's in law enforcement, uh, firearms instructor, armor guy. Lots of internet, lots of video games, a little bit of Facebook. Roland.
2: Four
3: yeah, Roland Shane, uh, 26 year DOD veteran, currently transitioning into the industry with a little dabbling in law enforcement as well. Uh, I have known and talked about ballistics now for at least 15, uh, at least 10 years, probably closer to 15 years with our, uh, our keynote guest. Um, uh, all I've know, I've known all of his mentors and uh, talked to them a- as well. Uh, so, um, although he doesn't directly represent the Department of Defense or the FBI or anything, the people that do and the people that have uh, concur with um, our guest's uh, methodology about how uh, ammunition should be tested and to what standard. So I'll just throw that out there. Mike.
4: Yeah, Mike H., uh, long-time trainer um, and human performance um, specialist. uh, Jumped in tonight to um, hear what Doc had to say and what other people might uh, comment on the topics that we have lined up for tonight. It should be an interesting conversation. Everybody that's tuning in, I think you'll be in for a lot of eye-opening discussion.
1: And now we have our our special guest, uh, Dr. Gary Roberts, also known as Doc GKR. Um, I learned about him on Light Fighter. Basically, this is, I don't know if I'm going to say write the book. As far as Internet information, as far as terminal ballistics are concerned, for me, this is the source. Gary.
5: Uh, Well, I'm just a dentist, but I was fortunate (laughs) enough in my 22-year military career to have trained in wind ballistics at the Letterman Army Institute of Research under Dr. Fackler and uh, I was the Navy representative for that and I think I'm the last person he trained before he retired and left military service. Cool. Um, Currently I teach at a large level one trauma center on the West Coast. Um, I'm a graduate of the police academy, served as a reserve police officer and um, been involved in law enforcement training for many years for a large West Coast agency with uh, you know multi 1000 sworn officer uh, contingent. So we've done a fair amount of of work on this subject, um, and uh, worked closely with a number of uh, law enforcement agencies and military organizations. Uh, I was also fortunate to serve on the Joint Service Wind Ballistics Team which was the military effort uh, after the uh, 9-11 occurred to try to quantify and dispel many of the myths that were attendant with wound ballistics. Um, And so we gathered a group of ballistic engineers, aero ballisticians, law enforcement, forensics, uh, medical personnel. Uh, industry folks as well as end users into a group to uh, basically delve into every facet of wound ballistics and try to come up with a working summary on um, test protocols, uh, what works what doesn't and where we needed to go in the future and the effort was quite well done unfortunately the final results were pretty much squashed and suppressed by um, big army and the 330 page final paper never made it out uh, into the public light.
1: And were ballistics something that that interested you growing up at all? How, you... my,
5: my father was a career naval officer and I grew up overseas and was always surrounded by uh, uh, you know various shooters and uh, people that were involved in the conflicts that were going on in the 60s and 70s. So it was something that I was exposed to quite a bit uh, one of my grandfathers was a World War II veteran, fought in uh, Africa, Italy, and uh, the European theater. And I always listened to his stories as well.
6: So I kind of grew up with it.
1: Cool. Cool. Now, in your opinion, what what do you think the biggest misconceptions people have about terminal ballistics?
5: Uh, people get all worked up over the numbers of things like velocity, kinetic energy, energy. Um, They worry about magic terms like hydrostatic shock, and they fail to look at what we're fundamentally doing, which is taking an object and poking a hole into the human body in order to incapacitate the subject and prevent them from causing further harm uh, to the public.
1: So what are some of these terms then? What are the magic terms? You've already said hydrostatic shock. What are some of the other uh, snake oil type?
5: (laughs) All you have to do is go on and start looking at any kind of these fantastical ammo things that have pictures of ninja squirrels and talk about, uh, you know, when when you start seeing shock in big letters, that's a good time to run away. Um, And the people that start touting velocity, the science of wound ballistics, particularly terminal ballistics, has been well known since the late 80s, early 2000s and there's really nothing new that we're discussing that hasn't already uh, uh, been dealt with. Um, In in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Dr. Fackler brought out the whole concept of permanent and temporary wound channels and what the bullet does in tissue is far more important than anything else and then throughout the 90s we developed the whole concept of robust expansion of law enforcement hollow points and barrier-blind capability. So that by the early to mid-2000s, this was a pretty much a known science, and engineering uh, to design better projectiles was was a, something that was uh, fairly predictable as long as you spent the time uh, doing your research and using proper test protocols.
1: So what are factors people should be looking at for duty or home defense or self-defense type of ammunition?
5: Well, you know, that's another thing. Whether you're a law enforcement officer or a private citizen, the physiology and anatomy of the aggressor does not change. So what you're looking for is a bullet that meets the requirements that were set forth uh, in the FBI protocol, which is to penetrate a minimum of 12 inches and to be able to do so whether there's a barrier there or not. Uh, In addition, bullets that go beyond 18 inches are probably wasting uh, the ability to do work at a shorter distance. You, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing to go beyond eighteen inches, but you probably don't need to. You could probably have a larger expanded projectile if it stayed in that twelve to eighteen inch range.
1: Yeah, the reason I added that differentiating duty, hell with a home defense, self defense. There are some people that are uh, kind of sensitive to that for some reason, and they don't seem to seem to identify. It's the same. It's if it's good for one, it's good for all, but the the keyword duty seems to turn people off and, and they get upset with that.
5: But it's kind of odd since a criminal becomes a criminal by preying on the public usually first before the law enforcement gets involved.
7: Yeah.
1: And this uh, yeah, this is the amount of ignorance that we have to deal with that we're trying to combat. And yeah. Roland, do you have something?
3: Yeah. The. Uh... The, the comment about uh, taking off on the back end keeping it around that 18 inch uh, range so that you can put more more ass into the bullet meaning more volume more expansion uh, and, and things like that that that's that's good to note uh, but also if you start extending that penetration out much past about twenty one now, now you're looking at a, a very good probability that you are going to have uh, that projectile pass through uh, an individual and, and still retain uh, some terminal performance on the backside. So uh, you're, in layman's terms, I'm talking about shoot-through. So if you have a, a, a round that is hot enough that it's going beyond 21 target, you know, all those other variables aside, there is enough energy there present that if that bullet gets a a free pass, you know, you smoke check an Ethiopian and it goes between the ribs, it's coming out the other side. You haven't found anything to make that physics stop. So that physics is just, it's it's still, there's not enough uh, energy transfer, there's not enough uh, mass in there, intermediate objects in that terminal ballistics phase to slow down that cartridge consistently and or reliably so that the the further beyond 18 you go the less likely you have the-
8: Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash Wondersuite.
3: You can use the thoracic cavity as an acceptable bullet stop. And I'm talking about... A reasonable certainty using the four firearms fundamental rules and the one where it talks about know what's at your target and what's beyond it, what's in front of it. Being able to take a shot in an active shooter situation where you know that this person that's trying to fill you in has people directly behind them and you're accepting that because you you've got to turn that guy off. And you know if any of this 5.56 five, goes through that guy, I'm hitting Mary Jane back there. So when you start talking about ammunition selection, uh if you ever think that you're going to be in that uh that that non-sterile environment where it's not a ballistic wall shoot house, it's a real trailer and if I sling it through this dude, it could go into the nursery right through the sheet, the, the the drywall or whatever. That that's when that that upper end number starts to to mean more. Um as far as where is that bullet consistently ending up. Uh that that 18 inch mark, I feel very very comfortable with. 21 inch on a battle rifle, yeah, I'll take it. Anything past 21, and I'm like, I'm starting to go like, eh, I don't know about this, you know. Sniper round, maybe, because hopefully by the time it gets there, it's had a couple hundred yards uh, to to slow down a little bit, and so the my performance at the muzzle in the mediums that Doc's going to talk about is not the same as the performance where I think the engagement is actually going to occur. So uh, you know, so shooting the protocol at the multiple versus shooting the protocol at 400 yards. What is the distance of performance? Am I getting 18 inches at 400 yards, but I'm going 23 inches at, at, at the barrel? Okay, so now maybe if I'm going to use a semi-automatic gun that's filling a due role like a, a designated marksman, I need to know that my load that is optimum for shooting people far away from me is potentially dangerous from an overpenetration standpoint if I'm using that same mag of ammo to, to clear through an urban structure to get up to the rooftop that I want to be. And maybe I've got to look at a dual load uh, answer to that, uh, uh, You know, a, a bullet that, that doesn't give me that awesome long-range, uh, long-range ballistic uh, BC, but up close, it expands the hell out like big, which slows down that mass and keeps it from coming out the backside. That's that's just kind of my, my little kind of uh, real-world application of, the, of that high-end number that, that Gary just mentioned. And Gary, you can go back and correct anything that I said if it was incorrect.
5: No, you were right on. Uh, if we look at the NYPD SOP 9 data going back to the time when they were carrying the 115 FMJs for their nines, and then they transitioned to the 124 plus P gold dots, there was a marked decrease in the amount of shoot-throughs that causes caused injury to other officers and to the public. Once they transitioned from that full metal jacket bullet that was sailing out 21, 25 inches to the uh, gold dot that was staying in the 12 to 18 inches, it went from like double digit shoot-throughs down to less than like you know three or four a year. And most of those, when the bullet exited, the bullet was going quite slowly in those cases that it actually did exit. So there is a huge difference and what Roland is speaking about is quite important.
1: So that actually almost transla- or goes into the next topic that I have and that's one of these one of the largest misconceptions that we have to deal with on a regular basis is options for home defense, birdshot being one of them, shotgun versus pistol versus rifle. Um, I know I, I wrote up that piece that, that you helped me out with. Um, I've tried to explain it many times why not birdshot?
5: Uh, because we're, and, more, we're, and we're going to
1: the 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 opposite of over-penetration.
5: Yeah, it's for birds. Yep. Um, let's face it, The stuff penetrates a few inches and it does make a rather large dramatic surface wound which may cause a psychological incapacitation, or on a pure frontal shot on a skinny individual could cause a lethal wound, but it sure as heck not guaranteed to. Um, I took care of a guy uh, within the last year that took a load of birdshot to his jaw and it was a very nasty wound and it's gonna require a year of reconstructive surgery and all sorts of interesting things to fully fix but the guy's still alive he wasn't incapacitated and was fully conscious after taking the hit.
1: Yeah I think that right there is just gonna be a sound bite I'm going to just hand off to people on a regular basis.
5: Um, I've got a great X-ray from it too. Too bad HIPAA won't let me share it with you. Oh. But um, changing the name. So basically, um, in terms of home defense weapons, uh, again, it doesn't you don't want anything different than what a savvy law enforcement agency would pick for your locale because the bullet is got to do the same thing, whether you're a person in your home defending against a guy that just kicked in your door or your law enforcement officer on the street who's gonna later confront that same person when they try to arrest him that anatomy and that physiology of the aggressor does not change so handguns are convenient because you can have them on your person at all times but they're harder to shoot and they offer less incapacitation potential than a shoulder fire weapon so if I have to choose, if I, if I was absolutely positively wanting to stop someone, a handgun would not be my first choice from a physiological incapacitation
7: potential.
1: Now, as far as shotgun's concerned, my understanding is start about number four shot and then work your way up to L-Slugs. You know,
7: I think number one accurate?
5: buckshot is probably the optimal. It gives you the 12 to 18-inch penetration. It gives you lots of uh, nice, uh, you know, typically you know, 15, 30-caliber pellets. Uh, it's probably the best loading out there uh, in terms of, of uh, optimizing penetration versus the desire to not have over penetration and maximum hit potential. In fact, between number one buckshot and the typical double lot nine pellet load, you actually have thirty five percent more tissue crush using the number one buck than you do the double lot. So I, I don't understand why people choose double lot or triple lot when they can choose number one. Cool. Uh, and I love slugs. Slugs are absolutely awesome.
1: What about for residential use though?
5: Well for residential use it comes down to um, exactly what uh, Roland was saying before, know your backstop, know your, what's in front of your target and what your intended purpose is. Um, so in a residential area if you're going to use a slug, plan on it coming out the backside. Um, there are a few slugs that, uh, especially the, the soft Foster lead, uh, soft lead foster slugs that will stay within the torso typically Uh, But if any of the better slugs that are designed to actually penetrate, which is kind of why you pick a slug, those are going to come out the other side every time.
1: Yeah, hunting people versus hunting grizzly is kind of different.
5: It it is indeed. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of slugs, but I I recognize that my slug is probably going to exit on the backside.
1: Yeah. Now for you personally, for home defense, what is your choice?
5: Uh,
1: Or what would be your choice if you could?
5: My first choice would be an AR-15. An AR-15 is the ideal defensive weapon um, for a variety of reasons. Um, Probably more Americans have been trained to use an AR-15 than any other uh, firearm currently uh, available, uh, given all the number of veterans we have, uh, law enforcement officers, and people using AR-15s for match use and for hunting purposes. So that's probably the most ubiquitous most highly trained rifle or shoulder-fired weapon currently available in America. In addition it has relatively low recoil so it's quite easy for smaller statured individuals to utilize. Um, As a police officer I rarely saw female officers wanting to grab the 870 out of the car but most of them were quite willing to grab an AR-15. And then finally the AR-15 because of its small caliber lightweight projectile design tends to have less penetration um, in an urban environment uh, than pretty much any other weapon system that we have available to us that's yet still effective at incapacitating folks. So it's probably the safest weapon to use in an urban environment. It's probably the easiest to shoot. We have more Americans trained to safely use it. That would be my first choice.
1: Amen. And I don't know, I don't understand why it's so difficult to understand, but it's it's easy, it's plain, it's, yeah.
5: Um, We oftentimes see people recommending a shotgun, and shotguns are great and all, but, uh, and and if I was facing one individual who was not wearing body armor, a shotgun would probably provide more tissue destruction on a shot-for-shot basis than anything else, and I would be quite comfortable using a shotgun in that role. However, shotguns are probably the hardest weapon system we have out there to use effectively, it has substantially more um, recoil, so smaller statured individuals, unless they're very well trained and experienced, will find it difficult to use. It's hard to reload under stress and I I find it interesting because a standard pump-action shotgun like many people seem to think is all that we need uh, under their rather strange interpretation of the Second Amendment. If I empty a five-round magazine of a, of a pump-action shotgun. And heck, even a double-barreled shotgun, I'm actually going to put more projectiles downrange than if I empty, empty an entire AR-15, 30-round standard capacity magazine. So if we're really worried about the number of fo- holes in, in uh, an aggressor and we're worried about the number of projectiles launched, a shotgun is probably going to be the worst defender. And so I'm not quite sure why so many people who are against AR-15s are recommending shotguns when in fact they're putting more projectiles downrange with less control. It's kind of kind of illogical.
1: It's the internet. Everyone's right. Yeah. Mike, you have anything to add on any of this?
4: Yeah, Doc. Uh, quick question for you. Um, what do you see as the biggest obstacle when it comes to um, law enforcement becoming more cognizant and aware of the um, issues we're discussing tonight? I mean, is it is it command staff? Is it um, a culture that's been around uh, an institutional culture that's been around for a long time and people are not willing to change it's what they don't know what they don't know um, or is it a combination of all of those things? What do you think?
5: I think it has several factors I think in the early 1990s to mid-1990s I think we had a lot of officers that paid attention to this because of some of the deficits associated with lightweight high-velocity uh, handgun projectiles that didn't offer enough penetration and were very poor at barrier capability against vehicles and against other intermediate barriers so there was a lot of research on the subject there were tons of lectures and law enforcement um, seminars about this well most of those guys you know have now retired from law enforcement we have a whole other generation of officers who were never exposed to that solid scientific information and instead are being swayed by what they see portrayed in the media in video games and on the internet most of which when i see it is wrong So, that's a little frustrating
0: um say goodbye
8: Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite.
5: Because the information was once well known, and it seems to have been lost over time. Uh, I think we say this, see the same thing on the military side. Uh, there was a military unit that had me out. In 2002, to give a two-day lecture for them, and uh, you know, provided it, I left them a bunch of material there when I left, and they just called me a couple months ago and said, "Hey, can you give us information on such and such a topic?" And I said, "Hey, I, I was already out there in 2002. Your commander had me, you know, give this two-day briefing to you guys. Where's all that information?" And given the passing of time. People moving on to different assignments, people retiring, all that information had been lost. And we have this whole other generation of kids in the military, as well as officers and law enforcement, that just don't have any idea about any of this information.
3: Uh, I'm going to jump in here as well because it shaped my um, ignorance uh, and downright misconceptions about. Uh, Terminal ballistics. My, my dad retired in '86, I believe, and he went to go work for DOE as a uh, as a firearms trainer. And he came back with a VHS tape from from uh, work, and because uh, he was always bringing home videos of like officer uh, uh, survival freaking AAR footage from the police academy and and. You know, he would sit down and talk about the vignettes and what this officer did wrong and, and, and that, and I just ate that stuff up because I was planning on coming into the military, and it, it interested me a lot, and I wanted to be a cop when I got out of the military and all that stuff. So anyway, the name of this video, and when I say it, Doc, is going to start getting Forrest Whitaker-Eye. Uh, it was called uh, Deadly Weapons, Firearms, and Firepower, and it was the biggest... Uh, propaganda hack job. Uh, like like it, it was a, basically a crystal ball into the derp that is now YouTube gun fucking review shit. But but it was it was packaged and sold as legit, legit whatever. And people bought this video like like it was flying off the shelves in in departments. Like agencies were watching this redneck fucking bullshit and uh, taking it as as gospel. And what this guy did was he, it was basically a giant plug for the glacier safety slug or pre-fragmented projectiles. And so what he did was, because everybody was talking about the human body, it's made up of so much water and displacement and hydrostatic shock, like all of that shit that has been debunked was still a thing. So his medium was milk jugs full of water with a pine board, sternum, uh, three quarter inch or one inch pine board uh, sternum, and he shot ball versus hollow point versus glazer safety slug in like every caliber from 32 all the way to 40, 44 magnum. And, you know, he's hitting these milk jugs with full of water with glazers, and like they're literally, like once he got above like 38 special, it was tearing the milk jugs in half. They were fucking exploding, and it's like... Ooh, ah, uh, you know. Then he goes over to the car and he uh, puts a Ipsy target with a, a Cop 3 Alpha uh, vest on and he, uh, it's an old, like, late 70s, like back when cars were still had ass, you know, there was still metal involved. And he starts firing at this car door with all these various calibers and then, like, showing... What went through, what didn't go through, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and he shoots the side door of this car with an AR 15, and the 5.56 round doesn't even go through the car door. Uh, it, it's like caught on the inner lining of, you know, by where the door handles at on the inside. Now, there's no um, thought taken to where along this door were these rounds going. Did the 38 special get a clean shot through? And uh, the 44 had, you know, two layers of steel where, where he shot it. At that point, like there was no analysis of what was inside of the door. It's just, it hit the door and did it go through the door? And then, you know, he shoots a 12 gauge slug and it goes through the car door, through both sides of the cop's vest, and through both sides of the other car door. So when you get done watching this movie, uh, you uh, basically Want to load up uh, some glazer safety slugs like my man did in uh, in Manhunter, which was you know the Michael Mann film uh, based on the Silence of the Lambs theory, uh, series. And old boy had Glazers in that movie. And uh, and you wanted to never ever ever have an M4, a Mini 14 or an AR-15 because they can't even go through a car door. You want to have a uh, shotgun in your cruiser. That that's going to be where it's at. And that's like 1988, you know. And so, so on one hand, you have people that actually know that are trying to field patrol carbines, and now you have an entire generation of police officers that grew up under this misconception that pre-fragmented projectiles are, are, uh, are good shit, taking into no account of intermediate barriers other than the guy's sternum, and, and this uh, preposterous notion that you can't shoot 5.56 five, through a car. You know, um, um, amazingly, uh, you know, I went to a shoot with Shrek where we, we shot a minivan, and I, I had a mag of French left over from doing something. I was like, you know what? I've never shot bullet into a car. And that, that pre-fragmented 5.56, five, you know, pressed uh, uh, particle board, you know, bullet, whatever you want to call it, uh, that fucker went through both sides of the car door, went through the target, and almost made it out the other side of that car. And I was like, huh. So RLP's got a little bit more ass than I thought it had, you know. So here I am smoking through a car with fucking fringe uh, and, and an assault rifle. And, you know, so that 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 video alone, first off, it made, I believed everything that was in that video because I was a sophomore in high school when I, when I read it. And it took years of show me to, to unlearn the derp that that one fucking videotape uh, indelibly fucking branded onto my brain housing group. Uh, but, you know, that if it was that impressionable to me, how many people that were taking that, like having their officers watch that shit as part of departmental training or, or whatever, how many, you know, uh, backyard ballistic experts did grew out of that one fucking film production alone? I, I don't know.
1: You know, though, we have even more now. YouTube. It's full of it. And we have so many of there are so many more issues, There's so many more misconceptions, and there's so much more, and this is a word I'm trying to avoid using, but there's so much more derp. And that's where we come in.
5: Well, for law enforcement agencies, there's really no excuse for them not to have contacted the FBI BRF and requested a copy of their wound ballistics data, because the FBI has a wonderful... Dvd that they will send any agency that requests it on official letterhead with a supervisor signature. And if you're an agency and haven't done that yet, I've got to ask why. Um, that's that's a basic starting point right there because the FBI BRF probably does a better job at this than anyone else in the nation, including the U.S. military.
1: Well, I can tell you from firsthand experience, something like that is either a not known or b. That's too much work. Come on, we'll just go by what the what the neighboring agency is using.
5: Very few agencies have the resources and the technical staff to do a true test of firearms, ammunition, etc. It's too expensive and it's too difficult to have a typical small agency. Uh, do that. I mean, I, I can think of maybe like people like NYPD, LAPD, uh, and the FBI are some of the few agencies in the country that are big enough and have enough technical uh, skill level in order to take on a, a project like that. And even then, it's—I mean—we're it, talking costing, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars to do a true, effective test to really ring this stuff out.
1: And that right there is one of the issues that we have, and this is compounded by YouTube. So many um, self-professed uh, experts. Well, hell, they can do—they can do a ballistics ch- test in their backyard. We can do the same. Yeah.
5: You know, it's a little harder to do correctly. It's very easy to do incorrectly. Um, I see a lot of people using synthetic gel on these videos, and it is not the same. Uh, I cannot recommend it um, because it will give you false results, and it will. Um, Even when the ones that say they're, quote, FBI spec, that's a bunch of hooey. It is not. Um, We've tested quite a few of them over the years and have not found one that has the same correlation with living tissue that 10% ordnance gel that's been properly validated, uh, fabricated, and uh, tested does. just doesn't work, guys. Um, And we have lots of agencies, starting with Gene Wolberg at San Diego PD, that took officer-involved shooting incident results, took the officer's gun and ammunition back to the laboratory, fired it into properly uh, prepared and validated gelatin, and they did that work to get correlation studies and said, hey, this stuff is an accurate replication of what we're seeing going on the street. In particular, uh, Duncan McPherson's four-layer denim test that he developed in conjunction with the highway patrol in the mid-1990s, the bullets we see taken from shooting incidents taken from the suspect's body or the officer's body pretty much look like bullets that went through the four layer denim test so that to me is one of the more important tests that one should be looking at when one is purchasing ammunition
1: that is really cool so when people are watching these youtube videos and seeing these homemade homebrew ballistics tests what are things that they need to be looking for to disprove and to say hey that's not accurate
5: um I would like color. To, color is not important. What's important is are at least five shots of each projectile being taken, and if there's any variations in that five shots, you need to shoot another five shots. That would be at a bare minimum. So five shots of each projectile type through each intermediate barrier. Bare gelatin doesn't tell us a whole lot. The four-layer denim test tells us quite a bit, as does the automobile windshield test. Um, those two tests are what I look at probably the, the closest when I'm assessing ammunition. Um, and that gives you a kind of a sense of the range of its capabilities in, in typical use.
1: So what about with the, the, the presentation? My understanding, though, was color was an indicator that this wasn't actual FBI-type gel.
5: The color of the gel? now, because you get minor variations uh, in, in gel color. We've seen it from almost clear to quite yellow over okay. the years. That, that, that's pretty irrelevant, to be quite honest. Okay.
4: That is good to know. Uh, let, me, let me jump in here for a second. Um, let me ask you a question that you might be able to resolve because I tend to look at entire systems and evaluate them. Um, a lot of departments have to make a decision on the handgun
0: My Rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.
8: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
4: Something they have its legacy they want to transition from, or they have done some research or gone to a meeting and decided they want the new heat. Um, how do you resolve the issue between the um, most effective round um, versus handgun selection.
5: Well I think the first thing you have to do is take a look at the shooting skill of your agency and is that going to be improved with a new weapon system and and or new caliber. Um, If your shooters are not up to snuff, You want to put your time, money, and effort into that before you start looking at hardware. Now, if that's up to snuff or you have defective hardware to start with, okay, then let's start looking at a weapon system. But the first thing you want to pick is what do you want your projectile to do? So you pick your caliber and you pick your ammunition first, and then you go find a handgun that that projectile and caliber will work with. Uh, to do it the other way around, to pick your handgun first and try to shove ammunition there is kind of ass backwards. So I, I think if you want to, say, have improved scores in uh, in shooting and your shooters are marginal shooters or whatever, okay, let's look at, at an easier-to-shoot caliber. Maybe they're shooting 40 caliber Glocks right now, and they have a lot of smaller-statured individuals. Maybe they don't have a lot of time on the range. So, okay, let's take a look at going to a 9mm. And let's look at what our parameters are. Are we a highway patrol agency around vehicles all day? Are we an urban agency? We pick a load that works for the setting they're in and then pick a handgun that works with that load. That's pretty basic.
4: Yeah, that's kind of what I was driving at. And sadly, I think uh, most agencies and departments around the country do it backwards, which is unfortunate. Certainly, the Army's modular handgun program is an example of doing
5: it exactly the wrong way, whereas the recent FBI procurement of a new handgun was
7: probably doing it the correct way. Roland?
3: So, just on what Gary said, but kind, uh, kind of applying it to something that we were talking about earlier. Gary said, uh, what, what what a, a duty person has to do and, and what a civilian has to do is the same thing when it comes to human, you know, human engineering of the adversary and all of that stuff. The roles uh, and setting in which you have to do that could be different. If you have an AR-15 in your house for home defense, you are probably not going to shoot through the wall to your home in order to score hits on this individual. So the, the inter-barriers, you and the person that you are finally positively identifying is committing a hostile act or intent within your structure and, and within your law and, and uh, jurisdiction, allowing you to use um, self-defense in, in defense of yourself or others. That's probably going to be a pretty easy shot for you in terms of from the muzzle to the bad guy. Other than clothing and their potentially their limbs, you're uh, you're not going to get a whole lot between you and the pump house, uh, the thoracic cavity that you're trying to defeat. Uh, so your five-five, the five-five-six round that does the most damage internally to the pump house in that type of shoot might not be the jack-of-all-trades needs to have great intermediate barrier performance that a patrol rifle needs to have. So although the bad guy is still the same, the chances of you hotting a dude up through his car door and or window with your home defense rifle, not your truck gun, your home defense rifle are not as high. So if you find a cartridge that gives up some in the intermediate barrier capability in terms of jacket separation and uh, retained bullet mass and these other things that that Doc uh, can talk about when he talks about intermediate barriers, I'm just saying that, that as a general rule, if it's good enough for cops, it's good enough for you. But if you don't do everything that cops need to be able to do, you might be able to find a bullet that's better for you than it is for the police. It, looking at the very narrow application of what that rifle in that room in that house is going to do. You might be able to find a better man killer that just don't do so hot through laminated auto glass. Does that make sense, guys?
6: It does.
5: It it does indeed, and I I, I agreed with you uh, for many years, and I've been on a consultant to a couple cases. Uh, In one case, the bad guy was leaning around the hallway, sort of a corner of of, uh, walls shooting at the homeowner, uh, person and the bullets were hitting that corner of the wall where there's a bunch of 2 by 4s and none of the bullets were getting through the wall to the bad guy. In another situation I'm aware of, the bad guy was hiding behind a couch, and the couch had a fairly robust wood frame, and the bullets were having difficulty getting all through the padding of the couch and the wood frame and everything to the bad guy as well. So I, I kind of have swung back a little bit so that maybe intermediate barrier capability is not a bad idea for a homeowner. But what Roland is saying is, in general, you're, you're, generally you're going to have an unobstructed shot. But I now have seen a few shots uh, in cases where that's not the case, and so
3: <laughs> you uh, you yeah. actually missed you actually missed the podcast where I was talking about shooting up in the liquor store and uh, the, the fact that the ho hos and the Cheetos and everything that's on the counter that's not a real corner. That's a bunch of air filled bags with with cheesy poofs in them. So uh, if you need to get them out there as in shooting through stuff to get to your bad guy, um, then you should probably go ahead and do that. Because um, cheesy poofs are not going to stop your bullets. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I actually made that exact same analogy of having to engage, engage partially obstructed dudes rather than give up full give up full concealment in order to take that clean, unobstructed shot. Like Know what your bullets can go through. Know what your bullets can't go through and don't be afraid to shoot through things as long as you know that there's nothing between what you're shooting through and the bad guy that you couldn't see
5: absolutely one of my favorite things to do back when we had a robust simunitions training program at uh, the PD was to create a um, a a barrier at the front door to the structure that they were going to breach so that the wall, as the guys were setting up uh, at their breach point, the wall was actually made out of butcher paper or cardboard or something like that. And as the team was setting up, uh, we would, uh, the role players would ambush them through the side of the wall and just shoot them right there uh, at the breach point. And the guys hadn't figured out at that point to bring a set of shields and place them uh, against the side of the house as they were setting up on their breach point. And a number of uh, of local SWAT teams, as they were doing this munitions training, got surprised with that because, guess what, bullets come through walls, uh, as sadly the guys in Oakland found
7: out a number of years ago. Oh, or Waco even before that. Absolutely.
1: And Ogden in Utah, just in the last couple of years.
4: So, Matt, you have a list of uh, questions that have been submitted. What's What's up next on the... The list. Yes.
1: Okay. So, um, when trying to select uh, the proper ammunition for your rifle, what are the factors if you're using a, say, a 10-inch rifle versus a 16-inch? Are you looking at you want heavier versus lighter, or, or is it completely based on the construction of the of the round itself?
5: Well, are we talking 5.56 five, here, or are we talking yes. the oh, Sorry. Yeah,
1: 5.56 five, for with an AR-15.
5: Well, first of all, I would say probably stick with 11.5 inch barrel rather than going down to 10 if you're using 5.56 from a functional standpoint.
8: Mm-hmm. And
5: then from there, you know, the um, your your best bet is probably to stick with one of the barrier blind type law enforcement loads that have proven to function in the you know 12 to 16 inch barrel lengths that we're typically seeing in law enforcement days. Things like the trophy bonded bear claw, spear gold dot, um, the loads using the Barnes all-copper bullets or the Hornady GMX style all-copper bullets, um, Remington core-locked ultra-bond, things like that. Uh, those tend to have a lower upset threshold and will t- still tend to work at the lower velocities one's going to see with a, a SBR.
1: So then with, say, a 16-inch rifle, then what, what should one be looking for? Or is, the, is it the exact same?
5: Exact same thing when you start getting down to the longer um, the longer barrels you could consider going to a fragmenting load like a, a 77 grain mark 262 or a 75 grain OTM from Hornady uh, but then you're giving up a lot of the barrier capability uh, if all you're doing is long range open shots go for it um, but like I said I, I think I would rather retain some of that barrier capability Uh, then give it up. And and let's face it, with a 5.56, even with a barrier-blind loading, you're penetrating less than your handgun's going to. So you're not really creating a problem by having a barrier-blind load in a 5.56 carbine.
4: Uh, Yeah, just for the people that are listening, maybe you can um, give a brief definition of um, what barrier-blind means. We know what it means, but a lot of people don't.
5: So blind to barriers simply means that the projectile behaves the same whether it hits the target uh, directly or if it first has to go through a barrier before reaching the target. And the uh, the better projectiles will not have their terminal performance degraded by an intermediate barrier.
3: Okay, and, and I, I you just brought up a very, very good point, um, Mike. Let's... Let's go ahead and talk, you know, from, from, from a, a military doctrinal definition standpoint of ballistics, um, uh, your, your external ballistics start at the crown of the muzzle, and they end when the bullet hits something. Terminal ballistics start when the bullet hits something, and end when the bullet is fucking eliminated all of its energy. So when we start talking about S, uh, external ballistics, are like what your precision guys are always opining about: uh, BC, velocity, max ord, uh, you know, all of those things. Uh, the ability to uh, to be affected by uh, the environment, wind and, and uh, heat and, and temperature variances and all that crap. That's all external ballistics. Terminal ballistics start. When it hits something, that could be the fucking twig in front of your rifle. That could be a, another intermediate barrier, like like Gary's talking about, or that could be when we hear terminal, we think terminate or finishing or whatever. That's the final stage, not terminal like killing. Um, so so that that's the terminal phase of the ballistics. Uh,
0: my
8: rewards. Tell them to oppose the
0: Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
8: Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously.
3: The in, internal to the gun when the powder is initiated and it starts to go down uh, go down the barrel and then it ends when all of its energy is done. That, that, that was the short little happy life of the bullet. Um, and and the, the phase of its life that we're talking about is that terminal ballistics when it hits something or it hits the guy. Uh, all of that is contained within the face because the bullet is going to start doing different shit. It might change direction. It might change speed. It might change its mass. It might change its shape. Barrier blind has the least amount of changes to the mass of that load as it passes through other stuff before it gets to what you want it to start doing damage on. Tweet me left or right a little bit, Gary, if I'm fucking that up.
5: <laughs> no, uh, Roland is absolutely accurate. From the moment the propellant is ignited by the primer and gas builds up and drives the projectile down the barrel, that is internal ballistics. Once the base of the projectile leaves the barrel crown and starts going downrange, that is... Uh, I hope I said that correctly, internal ballistics, and then we have external ballistics as a bullet's flying through the air, and once it strikes something, we have terminal ballistics, and then once it strikes tissue, we have wound ballistics. So we have multiple phases, internal, external, terminal, and wound ballistics. It's sort of the pathway of the bullet until it comes to rest.
3: Awesome. So now all of our listeners are on the same music as we are. Uh, So we can go back to that definition of barrier blind uh, and how it pertains to stuff getting in the way before we can start that wound ballistics piece of it.
5: Exactly. If I have a suspect who's hiding behind something and he's firing rounds downrange at me or, or at the public, I need to somehow get through that barrier and stop The uh, bad guy from continuous violent actions and if I have a projectile that is not barrier-blind it may stop in the in the intervening barrier and prevent stopping the aggressor Um, and that's not ideal uh, either in a law enforcement situation or in a home defense situation
3: so it now bears Further explanation, guys, about why was a bullet designed the way that it was designed and what did the bullet designer expect for that bullet to do? So everybody on the Internet knows that Green Tip sucks. Uh, What was Green Tip designed to do and how does it go about its mechanism of doing it? So your your barrier-blind projectiles are trying to act more like hollow point bullets, they're trying to expand their mass to catch as much stuff as it's going through that track and potentially create a bleed, destroy tissue, break bone. Um, that That's its MO. But these quote-unquote quote, varmint cartridges that we adopted were designed to use extremely high velocity, which created a yawing of the bullet and then a basically an, a, a uh, breaking up, like you see on the Hollywood movies where the satellites come through and they, they break up and pieces are flying all off of them. We call those little pieces going all their own separate way, divergent wound track. So now you have all these little pieces that could be poking holes and shit. The problem is the bullet only performs that way under certain conditions. The SS109 slash M855 was designed to be shot out of the M16A2 and the M249 saw with their original barrel lengths. Those barrel lengths created muzzle velocities in excess of 3,000 feet per second at the muzzle, which still offered enough velocity at distance that if that bullet hit an unobstructed human thoracic cavity that it would go in, it would yaw, and ultimately go butt forward, and then as it went butt forward, the jacket would strip off and would take little chunks of lead with it, and it would do just this crazy kind of star-bursting effect um, of divergent wound tracks, and it's actually quite, quite um, bad. Uh, to the human body. If you, if you use one of those varmint cartridges at the velocity that it was designed to be used at, and you don't have to constrain yourself with shooting through glass, because let's face it, a round that's made to come apart can come apart easier than a round that isn't. Can we all agree on that? So if you have a round that was designed to break a, break apart on impact, and you impact with something early you end up leaving a lot of the bullet behind, and that's why they are poor performance, poor performers in automotive glass, um, sheetrock, plywood, uh, car door aluminum, all the things that we've already talked about. Uh, so, so your your uh, your your 193, your M855, you know, and I haven't even gone down the whole steel core penetrator, blah 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 yet. Like, you guys all know there's a penetrator in there, and that was specifically to have something. ...in that bullet that had enough ass to get through Soviet armor at the time. It was a, a threat-built cartridge. We built the bullet to defeat whatever kind of bunk-ass armor the Soviets had at that time. But if you take like those bullpup guns that we all hate... ...the reason why they're bullpup guns is because they retain the long-ass barrel... ...that we had on the M16A2 muskets. Because they knew that the NATO cartridge had to be shot out of a barrel that was like 21 inches long, at least 18. You start going below 18 inches on that barrel and you're giving up all of that shit and you get to a point where in the 14.5 uh, to 10-inch to range, um, you lose that ballistic effectiveness at less than 100 yards. You've already bled off enough muzzle velocity because you're coming out of the barrel at 26, 25-ish, 100. So you, your, your bullet is coming out of the gate 700 feet per second slower than the rifle that it was designed to be shot out of. And so it can't flip over and yaw and do its amazing fucking superstar starburst up in a dude's thoracic cavity because it just ain't got the ass behind it. So you end up ice picking fools. And then everybody says, oh, M855 sucks because I had to shoot the dude X amount of times. Well, you know, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't have chosen the uh, the Mark 18 as your weapon of choice if the only ammo you had was was M855. Dog, you know, maybe that was a poor choice uh, of weapon uh, based on what what the military could provide you for for ammunition. And I'm not going to sit here and say that either 193 or M855 are the best thing in the world because they are both poor performers when it comes to. Uh, the modern battlefield and having to shoot people through cars, through windows, uh, through uh, wood. Um, but for what they for what they were designed for, in the weapon with the velocity that it was designed for, I would not want to get hit with an M855 at 3,200 feet per second. Fuck no, nope, not don't want it. No thank you. I'm not taking seconds.
5: You know, Roland is absolutely correct that. SS-109 M855 was designed in the 70s for the Minimi, the the, uh, M249 saw, before it was even an M249 saw. And for shooting Soviet troops wearing 70-eras body armor and helmets in the fold of gap, you know something? That wasn't bad at all. For what it was designed for, linked machine gun ammo in in a saw, heck yeah. That stuff rocked. And it worked a whole lot better than the previous generation of 5.56 ammo for what it was designed to do. The problem is when, for example, a law enforcement agency sees that the military is using green tip out of a saw and says, hey, let's put this in our patrol carbines, that's when problems develop because it's not designed for that task or that weapon system. And that's why, as Roland said earlier, you have to look at the entire uh, weapon as a system. It is a firearm. It is the cartridge. It is the projectile. It's the magazines. It's the ergonomics. It's a system. And if you don't look at it as a system, um, that's when bad things happen.
1: That's kind of like our discussion from last Thursday, night vision system, the laser, the helmet, the nods. Systems, they're good. Hi, Chuck. How's it going? Have anything to add? Newfangled technology. You're still muted.
2: There you go. Sorry, now I was having a computer issue. My uh, unmute button wasn't wanting to work. No worries. So yeah, I was just listening in, trying to catch up, uh, listening to the smart guys talk. I was uh, late to the show today.
1: Anything to add? Any, uh, anything? Uh, I don't know if you heard the, the discussion about uh, law enforcement selecting ammunition and how to go about doing so, and how to get in touch with the FBI for information did you have any
2: tips? Uh, I did not I walked into the uh, green tip discussion as uh, about where I showed up um, and yeah the, from my the, the all the studies I've done in a historical perspective if you look at um, you know what Roland was design, was talking about where it was what it was designed to do uh, it was a happy accident that M855 even yawed and fragmented at all because the original designers didn't care about that at all. They wanted to wound people through body armor and steel pot helmets uh, at a distance greater than they would. A- they were able to do it with M80 ball, and they really only cared about poking holes in people at a distance wearing that specific stuff. Um, when you look at what the bullet was designed to do. <laughs> which was, and maybe Gary can help me out on that, I think that Soviet body armor was, uh, it was called CRISAT, like C-R-I-S-A-T, something like that. And it was some layers of ballistic nylon and titanium plates. So when you have a test target and somebody's building a bullet, uh, they want it to go through that target, they're going to build the bullet to, to, you know, beat that test so they can win that contract. It's not necessarily going to end up to be the best bullet for the battlefield. Um, you know, my knowledge, they didn't shoot through things like uh, cars or windshields or, you know, they didn't add layers of, like, chest rigs or AK mags or anything like that to it. Uh, a lot of the Europeans that were involved in that, uh, they think uh, things like M- M93 ball that tumbles and fragments is... Uh,
8: Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash
2: Wondersuite. I think it was the Swedes that started designing M855 that specifically would not fragment. Uh, and I've seen tests with some of the British... Uh, SS-109 M855 type ammo and it also doesn't fragment because they put a thicker jacket on it. They do that on purpose because they're trying to limit the fragmentation in tissue because it's, I guess it's not nice to shoot people with fragmenting bullets in a battlefield scenario, you know. Uh, I I missed the part about the uh, the police, uh, choices for police ammunition. Um, I have to, I talk to people regularly about that. Uh, it's common to hear people uh, bad-mouthing the FBI on uh, you know, ammunition choices and testing and things like that because people fail to realize exactly how much science is involved in that FBI wound ballistics testing and how much it's been validated by things uh, like autopsies and You know, early on, you had uh, guys like Eugene Wolberg were involved in in validating some of the the early bullets, like the 147 grain Winchester, Uh, and much of that ammunition has been improved since then. Uh, It's sad that I still see departments issuing things like Federal Hydroshock because they, they haven't looked at the science involved in some of this stuff.
1: Speaking of which, uh, Gary, what is the contact for that to get the uh, ballistics
3: information?
5: Um, you would contact the FBI BRF and put in a formal request on letterhead signed by a, a supervisor, a sergeant, or higher, and they will send you the disk. Um, cool. People can get a hold of me if they need the exact contact information. Um, the, that That's relatively easy to do. Uh, you know, talking about military ammunition, I find it quite um, perplexing that so many uh, pundits in the media are trying to vilify military ammunition and thinking it should be banned and such, when in fact if we look at the common service calibers in military and law enforcement use, they are substantially less destructive and less damaging than almost all common hunting ammunition in typical hunting calibers like uh, oh 260 270 seven millimeter 30 out 6 300 wind mag etc um, virtually no 556 or, or, or even uh, you know 308 is going to pale in comparison to well oh, I don't know a 338 mag or a 375 H and H and yet somehow the military ammo and the law enforcement ammo is bad and somehow a 9 millimeter with with a 15 round magazine is is horrible and yet compare that to a 44 mag or a 500 and uh, uh, S&W or something like that and, and the destructive potential is not even close. I, I find that utterly illogical and most of the laws and most of the stuff that's being put out in public policy is not soundly based in science, it's not soundly based on, um, on facts, it's based on emotion and perception which Aren't the same thing.
3: I, I would, I would absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I, I would, I would agree with part of what you're saying, and I would disagree with part of what you're saying, Gary. I, I believe that the media knows that the AR-15 is one of the most effective killing machines that's ever been created. They're just so ignorant on the subject that they don't understand why, they don't understand how the concept of, uh, you know, the original Nazi assault rifle and and the lethality, and I agree with you, dude. I would much rather get shot with anything the Krauts had other than a Mauser or an MG-42 shooting Mauser ammo. Lots of Mauser. Um, it was a more effective killing round, but at a slower reload time, uh, increased weapons weight, uh, system weight, uh... Um, in, uh, decreased magazine capacity, you know, slower rate of fire, like all those things, that's what the assault rifle did. And the media, they kind, they're kind of onto it, that high, that high magazine capacity matters in a close engagement. The ability to do a three-second mag change before you're, before you're bum-rushed, it matters. Um, but, but they're just lashing out, and, and that's where the, you're right. It's, it is an emotional thing they know that assault rifles kill people good because that's what they were designed for. And, and they understand that modern sporting rifles is a bunch of bullshit that we're trying to do to protect our guns. Like, those guns are fucking optimized for filling dudes in. But they can't quantify it without vilifying all the weapons and then even pissing off Elmer Fudd and the hunters. So in their attempt to try to drive a wedge between gun owners in this country... um. They're not smart enough to write, I'm not going to say good, write effective legislation to regulate guns that are optimized for anti personnel use. Uh, if assault rifles weren't awesome, we'd still be shooting 30 out 6, man. You know the deal. Well, you know, one of the things that we had the,
5: uh, the luck to do at Letterman was to test historical cartridges going back to 1800s uh, we tested all of the military cartridges available from about you know 1885 on um, and so we got to see the different destructive capabilities, the different terminal uh, effects of such weapons. Um, we also looked at studies of uh, you know rates of incapacitation injury etc from different weapons and I, I, I suspect Uh, that more Americans have been killed with lever action, uh, you know, John Wayne looking uh, uh, rifles than have ever been killed by AR-15s in the United States. So any firearm can be uh, lethal, any firearm can cause grievous wounds. Uh, The question is for the typical American um, what is the best weapon to defend themselves and their family against an assault and I would have to argue that at this point it would probably be an AR-15 like we talked about earlier. Uh, Just because more people have been trained on it, it's more effective and it's also safer from a a terminal ballistic perspective because it's less likely to exit their dwelling and go downrange and kill people in the next house over, unlike a typical hunting weapon.
3: I I concur with you. We could go off on an entire tangent about copycatters and and how it was a thing. Like going postal was a thing because one postal worker said fuck it. And then all the other retarded postal workers were like, I like that. Fuck it. And now we have going postal. Thank God that fucking trend burned itself out at some point. But shooting up schools. Before that dick bag in 1980 was that big well, of a thing. And it, 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 it. happened
1: Oh you you, you got uh, yeah, you, you broke up a
3: bit. Okay, so, so my point is is that so we get trends based off of people's lack of imagination, and we didn't see those trends prior to the kind of explosion of the Internet and, and modern television and whatever. I mean, can you go back in history and find me a school shooting before 1989? Sure you can. But I'm telling you, that was the first mass shooter in modern American history that we can think about. It was the cataclysmic effect. It was the thing that made George Herbert Walker Bush, the Republican NRA member, ban foreign assault weapons from coming into our country. Because some dude with a fixed bayonet, fucking AK, walked into a schoolyard and started smoke-checking kids. And then you had Columbine, where it was was child rage. And, And so now these mass shootings... They're nothing more than just a gigantic evolution of copycatting. So we can't apply traditional data or statistics about, you know, hey, dudes used to get shot with lever-action rifles or dudes used to get shot with revolvers. The violence that is happening in this country is going to continue to perpetuate with the weapons that are available and most effective for those tasks as a general rule. So we can stick our head in the sand as gun owners and, like, pretend that violent crime with so-called assault weapons is going to decline. It is not. Mass shootings with assault weapons is going to continue to rise. Do I think that means they should be illegal? Nope. I think we should fill more people in. Uh, I think we should, you know, uh, I think we should, like, not let dudes that were actively surveilling by the FBI... Uh, go by go buy some uh, some assault rifles and roll their ass up into a gay bar and kill a bunch of people after the FBI' has already been surveilling them but what are you gonna do you know hashtag Constitution freedom's hard but uh, yeah I, I think all of us all of us that want to keep our guns trying to like tell a self a self-fulfilling narrative that like the guns aren't the problem uh, the guns are available and People are stupid, and social media is out there, and people are going to, at an increasing number, use modern sporting rifles in mass killings in this country. It, it is not going to go down. It is only going to go, go up. up. That is just the world we live in. That uh, Disclaimer, all of that being said, I think we should all be able to have bazookas in our crib, so I don't care. Come get my shit.
5: You know, we were pretty involved with the uh, initial shooting in Stockton where um, the 35 people were shot uh, in that schoolyard. What was interesting was that 30 of the 35 kids survived because he was using a military derived weapon. If the psycho had gone in there and had been using a hunting weapon, I suspect the death rate would have been substantially higher. Because most of those full metal jacket military bullets went in the, the, the uh, victim and out the other side without creating the kind of damage that a hunting weapon would have done.
3: Um,
5: so one has to, you know, balance all these things. Yes, the, the uh, military-derived weapons are easier to use, um, purposely so, for raw recruits to be able to shoot better with them, but they're not as destructive in many
3: cases. So wait, wait, When using military ammunition, I, I concur with you. Um, and I agree that if, the, if Dude had brought a .30-06 uh, M1 Garin, uh with .30-06 hunting cartridges in those eight-round stripper clips, he'd have hit 15 kids instead of 30, and all 15 would be DRT. Uh, 100% concur with that assessment.
7: Even something like a shotgun uh, probably
5: would have been more destructive uh, when, when used on a playground like that. Um, what what frustrates me is this emphasis by uh, the media and by um, uneducated politicians to throw laws up without thinking through the entire.
0: Say goodbye
8: Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite.
5: Um, spectrum of what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, they, they try to control people who have psychological problems. And they try to control people who are criminals who are going to ignore whatever law we pass without thinking about the effects on honest citizens uh, who are the vast majority of Americans and uh, how that might uh, affect them. Uh, we did a study of law enforcement shootings um, and kind of looking at magazine capacity because I'm unaware of any law enforcement agency in the entire continental United States that issues reduced capacity magazines to their, to their personnel. So we looked at, does magazine capacity matter? And if we look at, uh, for example, uh, the New York PD shootings, uh, their stop line data is public. About a third of the time, one shot resolves the conflict. And about a third of the time, it takes between two and ten shots to resolve the incident. And about a third of the time, it took more than ten shots to resolve the conflict. So, you know, why did they pick? Ten rounds as a magazine capacity limit in some states. Why some states are 15? Why some are seven rounds in New York? Uh, there's no science and there's no logic to what they're doing. Again, it's all emotional appeal without looking through the problem. Um, and if I was, uh, you know, a, a person trying to defend my family and I had a 10-round magazine in my weapon and I've got four or five bad guys coming through my front door on a home invasion like what happened to a reserve police officer who was also a surgeon here in uh, in California a few years ago um, boy I wouldn't be too happy um, because I'm gonna run out of bullets before I can stop all the bad guys from harming my family
1: and we did just lose Roland hopefully he should be back he was having some
4: technical issues at home before we started so Matt what's that what's next on the list next uh, question. questions yeah
1: Meckley just uh, posted this up. Um, he wants to know, because he argues this so frequently, what is the science behind why are pistol ammunition, why does pistol ammunition over penetrate versus AR?
5: Well, well-designed pistol ammunition is not going to over penetrate. Poorly designed pistol ammunition or full metal jacket, uh, the poorly designed expanding uh, hollow point type ammunition oftentimes plugs up with clothing or other intermediate barrier material and then ends up acting like a ball round um, and not expanding. That's quite common, particularly for ammunition that was designed in the 80s, 90s, uh, and earlier. Most of the ammunition um, designed later than the mid-1990s tends not to do that if the engineers paid attention to what's going on. Um, and typically ammunition intended for law enforcement use uh, particularly those that have gone uh, for FBI contracts and such where they actually test for this stuff most of that ammunition is is not going to suffer from that deficit
3: Hey gentlemen I'm sorry the power came back on my house and as my internet cycled and everything all of my devices jumped on the Wi-Fi that was still rebooting but uh, anyway that's all I had to say anyway
1: There was a discussion a couple months ago. Uh, I remember Haggard had some really good input on it, and it was discussing choosing ammunition for a 380. That a full metal jacket might be a better option than some kind of like a gold dot or something like that.
5: Yeah, 380 is one of those marginal calibers, and I've I've often jokingly said, "Friends, don't let friends carry 380." Um, a lot of the 380 handguns out there are not terribly reliable with, uh, with hollow points. There are some newer ones that, that tend to be better, uh, but oftentimes the blowback design and nature of them, they tend to function better with full metal jacket, number one. Number two, there's really no hollow points that actually work entirely acceptably in 380. Uh, probably the best would be something using one of the XTP projectiles, but that's just because they don't expand well, uh, so they're tending to act more like a ball round. Um, there's a couple other designs that are sort of okay, but, you know, basically 380 is kind of on the marginal side, and if you have any other choice, that's probably not the best option to go for. In addition, 380 is more expensive than 9mm, harder to get, and you're not really gaining much with a 380 over some of the, some of the uh, newer 9s uh, in terms of size of weapons and everything else.
3: <clears throat> so, so, Gary, um, like, let's talk specifics. Uh, I'm running Hornady Critical Defense 95 grain, but I've seen some 105 or some over 100 uh, grain 380 out there that are all allegedly expanding projectiles. Now, now keep in mind, my 380 is a bug, and it's not like the only time you would ever catch me with my Glock 32. Is if I was in a place where they would cut my head off, they found me with a gun, uh, or, or like I'm going into a place where they're running wands and I'm running it behind a big, you know, belt buckle or something like that, um, allegedly. So, so if I'm carrying a gun, only in places that I can't carry a gun, and it's actually a CQB tool, and I'm my, I'm expecting that my primary engagement is going to be from the clinch under the chin, pull the trigger and repeat until I volcano some shit, like what I'm not looking at performance at 25 yards I'm not looking at performance at 15 yards at like at 10 yards and in of the touted self-defense 380 cartridges out there what what would you recommend for contact shot to 10 yard um performance the one that is 100 percent reliable in your pistol
5: and your magazines I don't care if it's a ball round or whatever I want reliability. Again, I would probably go with ball rounds myself or XTP bullets.
3: Sorry. Okay, good enough.
1: So where's all this Underwood and Lehigh defense falling as far as ballistics are concerned?
5: Well, let's forget the ballistics part for, for a second. Let's go back to the reliability part. If I'm carrying a firearm to defend my life, the life of my family, or the life of the public, I want the most reliable, consistent ammunition I can get. And you're going to find that primarily from vendors that have federal government contracts where there are very stringent quality control standards in place, where there's uh, very exact pressure testing. Um, And the list of vendors that can meet that is is fairly small. I mean, we're talking uh, people like... Um, Spear and Federal, um, we're, we're talking about um, Black Hills, we're talking about Hornady, Winchester, um, you know, those kind of kind of vendors that have those those contracts where there's significant oversight and they know um, they know how to make ammunition that is, is exceedingly reliable in a wide range of temperature conditions. <laughs> And uh, in, in, a, in a wide variety of storage and, and carry situations. That's what I'm looking for is reliability far more important than what whiz bang projectile you have in your gun.
2: Cool. I think I'd like to uh, throw in that, that back up what Gary's saying. Uh, my LAPD contacts tell me that, They wanted to pick a couple of different jacketed hollow points for the authorized 380 uh, backup and off-duty guns that they had, but the only thing that they found 100% reliable across the board with acceptable wound ballistics in the pistols that they had was the Spear Lawman uh, 95, I think it's a 90 or 95 grain full metal jacket. So that's their issued... uh, duty ammunition if you will for those authorized 380s. you know they use it for practice, they use it for carry. Uh, the feedback I've gotten so far is it's worked about as expected but it's worked okay uh, in the shootings that they've had. Um, uh, as Gary noted, 380 is challenged in penetration. Uh, I know of a couple of officer-involved shootings where a 380, uh full metal jacket was utilized, and in those the officer was in not just a shooting but a gunfight, and in uh, one in particular, I know four of the rounds went through the suspect's forearms, because uh, the suspect was in sort of an isosceles stance, uh, aiming a gun at the officer. Uh, Four of the rounds went through the suspect's forearms and then penetrated his chest deeply enough to uh, shut him down. Uh, Most of your 380 jacketed hollow points won't do that. Uh, Weight is kind of immaterial. I know Roland mentioned some of the the greater than 100 grain bullets. The Remington Golden Sabre, as an example, is a 102 grain bullet but it expands too much to penetrate deeply enough. I've seen gelatin tests where it's only done five or six inches. Now, that's way less than I'm comfortable with. Uh, I've done tests with Gold Dot and through heavy clothing it tends to get about 10 or 11. I'm happier with that if it works out of your gun. Um, <clears throat> Hydroshocks I'm okay with in 380 and basically nothing else, mainly because like the XTP, they often fail to mushroom and so they penetrate more. Um, but other than that, high quality full metal jacket. Uh, part of the problem I have with full metal jacket though is they don't build it like they used to. There's like you can buy 9mm NATO ball, it's waterproof, temperature. Uh, uh, non-temperature sensitive primers, it's got low flash powder, waterproof primers, the whole bit, uh, made to military contract specs. Uh, Most of the other full metal jacket on the planet is low bid. Uh, Think about would you want to go into a fight with Winchester white box 115 grade full metal jacket if you could pick something else. You know the quality control in that type of ammunition is just not there. Um, That's one of the, the Overarching choices when we're talking about things as a system. Uh, sure, you can get a neat little carry gun, but can you get ammo for it that's worth a damn? You know, even in Full Metal Jacket, uh, you really have to do some shopping to find some good ammo. That
3: that's some really good.
2: That that's
3: that's some amazing feedback, Chuck, and that's exactly what I was looking for. I have been on the periphery of watching people fuck around with 380, but I'm not on the inside circle. and I'm just seeing random test ammo just coming in. You know what I mean? And, and so I'm like, well, yeah. is, is that what I need? Or is that what I need? Or is that what I need? Like, I, I don't know because I'm not seeing any of the data. I'm just seeing random samplings of stuff that I that I know is getting, quote, quote, tested. So, uh I don't, I don't get to reap any of the benefits of those tests. Like, all right, well, I saw you shot 95 horned the other day. How'd that, how'd that work out for you? I got nothing. So, uh, you know, I, I made a personal choice to get a 42. Uh, I gave it to my daughter. I, I carry a 43 now. But but Fish, Fisher's comments about the 42 just being a much, um, like the mass and weight is so much different. And I don't know if it's the weight of the bullets in the magazine or that extra eighth of an inch or whatever, but wearing a 42 on your ankle and wearing a 43 on your ankle, it is different. Anybody who thinks, "Oh, look at this," I'm just going to go with the 9 millimeter one. I went down that road. I, I bought early and got a 42. Then the 9 mil came out and I was like, "Yay! I don't have to worry about marginal ammo performance." Daughter, here, take this gun. And I bought a new gun. And when I strap it on my ankle, I was like, yeah, "I don't like this on my ankle at all. It's kind of janky." Uh, and I'm I'm kind of longing to get that 42 back on my ankle, uh, and I, yeah, maybe I just I'm being a little bitch, but I mean I like the 42 on my ankle. I like it better than the 43. Um, again, neither of those guns are being carried alone. They're on my ankle for a reason. Cause I'm carrying a big ass blaster with flashlight. You know, I'm carrying a rolling special. The chances that I'm ever going to go to that that thing on my ankle are minimal at best, unless I'm in a swimsuit or. You know, I'm in some other type of crazy situation where literally I wouldn't have a gun if it wasn't for that little, that little uh, noisy cricket. Uh, I wouldn't have a gun at all. So any gun's better than no gun. I think we can all agree with that, right? So, so it's like I'm not trying to do the lazy man summer special where, oh, I don't want to carry a gun, so I'm going to carry a pocket gun. Like I'm totally not that guy that those guns are either going to be a secondary weapon or, or a niche weapon when I wouldn't have no other weapon at all. And I'm just trying to maximize that platform within that
2: construct. Does that make sense, Chuck? No, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I for a very, very long time I was like uh, a lot of us recommended things like you know minimal. Uh, you know, it's changed over the years. Maybe a two and a half inch model 66 or a Colt Commander, and now it's typically a Glock 19. But uh, you know, guys like Claude Werner and I have had very long discussions on stuff like this. And, uh, and on uh, Craig Douglas's website, he talks, uh, he had a whole thread on the little old man gun. Uh, maybe you can't, uh, because of your physical limitations, run a particular gun. Uh, maybe because you are in truly a non-permissive environment, you can't run a bigger gun. Uh, Are you better off with a Beretta 22 than nothing? You're better off with a Beretta 22, particularly if you're gonna maximize your skills with that gun. One of the things I noted about a Glock 42 is is that uh, the one that I had that I gave to my father-in-law, it would hold three inch groups at 25 yards. Um, You know, 380 ball at 25 yards is gonna penetrate about as well as 380 ball at zero yards. Uh, So having a gun that's shootable enough, low recoil, I can fire it weak-handed. It's less than a pound on my ankle. Uh, it's very, very reliable. Those are all things that, that on that systems approach, is that gun uh, useful in a wide range of scenarios that you could find yourself in? Uh, just because you know, as you note, you're in a you're in a non-permissive environment, and you now you run into an active shooter. Is it going to matter that you're carrying a Glock 42 and you're faced with a 15-yard shot? You you have to work with what you got. Um, <clears throat> uh, jumping back to earlier when guys were talking about overpenetration, Gary was talking about overpenetration. I think that's been a overrated worry for people. I know with 380 ball and gelatin, it uh, penetrates excessively. But in the real world shootings I've seen, uh, maybe because of clothing, maybe because of the, the retarding effect of uh, skin at exit, uh, I, ha- I can't think of a 380 shooting, and I've seen a bunch of them, where the bullet exited a, a uh, person and then hit somebody else dangerously. I have seen 380 ball rounds go completely through a dude and then they're across the room and fail to penetrate sheetrock. Uh, that tells me, yeah, the bullet exited, it technically over-penetrated, but was it dangerous? Um, my old jobs uh, chose a 124 grain plus P spear gold dot for duty load. Early on we had some shootings and uh, one of my friends shot a guy as an example, went completely through the guy's torso, uh, hit the wall of the bedroom behind him, exited the house, went through a privacy fence in the backyard and ended up in a house across the alley. We talked to Spear about that and uh, they redesigned the bullet to the bullet that it is now and the bullets still exit the average size grown man but what we would finding was they would mushroom fully, heavy clothing or not, uh, they would go all the way through and then typically we would either find the bullet sticking out like a zit or it was caught up in the clothing at exit or if it exited the clothing, we'd find it laying within about 10 yards of where the guy got shot. Now more than once I worked an officer-involved shooting scene where we do doing the investigation and you see a little gold dot bullet uh, like you pulled it out of the test gelatin and somebody laid it on the sidewalk. Uh, so the whole overpenetration thing, besides the issue with most shots that most people fire miss, um, then there's the other issue of what constitutes over-penetration. What are we exactly talking about? 9mm uh, ball, I think we can agree, uh, 40 full metal jacket loads, they're going to dangerously over-penetrate, like shoot through one dude and then go four blocks away and shoot through another dude, but a uh, 380 ball, I'm not that worried about from my observations of real world street shootings, um, good jacketed hollow points in the service calibers, even when they exit, not worried about it. Um, but uh, yeah, back to what Roland was talking about. I think uh, the the 42 is a really good niche gun. Uh, it fulfills a role that, uh, like Tom Gibbons and I have talked about, an ankle gun should be one pound or less, preferably under one pound. I've carried ankle guns much larger than that: Glock 26, Glock 27, uh, a Smith and Wesson 6906 at one point. And I'm pretty sure that's why I've got no cartilage in my left knee anymore was uh, carrying these big-ass ankle guns for so many years.
5: I think the other thing about ankle guns is I've seen a lot of officers pull out their little 380 that they have shoved in their body armor holster or in their pocket or on their ankle and the thing would not reliably function. So. With a 380, it has to be reliable. That, that's like the number one thing on a 380, or, or any bug for that matter. And that's where one of the reasons the lightweight J frame shines so well in that bug role.
2: I would agree with that. I know, and, and maybe it's weapon system design and things, but I know of two shootings uh, that went bad for officers. One specifically involving a 380 PPK. The officer, he was a narc, pulled it out. Uh, got off one shot and his gun choked in the middle of the fight. Um, one of the reasons I like the 42 is it kind of follows a paradigm of a military-grade semi-automatic pistol. Um, I don't know that it is as resistant to neglect abuse like dirt and things like that that ankle guns are or subject to as, uh, you know, uh, obviously, I don't think it's going to be as reliable as a Glock 17 or something like that, but I think it ups the ante on reliability over things like a PBK or a uh, maybe a Ruger LCP or something like that. Uh, I still prefer a J-frame, an Airweight J-frame bug. Um, my Smith and Wesson 642s are what are my go-to for that role.
1: I do have an additional question. If you guys are ready for it, I'm. I'm guessing. Go ahead then. Yeah. As far as choosing ammunition, um, for someone that's carrying either a Glock 34 or a Glock 43, is the heavier going to do better in either, or the? I, I can't even think of how to phrase that question. It's been a long day. Um, Is a lighter 9mm going to perform better in the shorter barrel or the longer barrel or vice versa?
5: Um, The bullet weight's kind of irrelevant, to be quite honest. Cool. What matters is what does the projectile do in tissue? And the majority of service caliber um, loads are designed to work out of a 4-inch barrel. If you drop down to a 3.5-inch barrel, it's still going to work just fine. fine. That half-inch ain't going to make a bit of difference. If you jump up to a 5-inch barrel, it isn't going to make any difference. Um, So, you know, and and we have loads that we've tested that have worked in 115 grain all the way up to 147 grain, and they've all worked fine. So it's not the bullet weight. It's what does it do in tissue? Is it reliable in your weapon system? Is it accurate in your weapon system? Those are all the, the most important criteria to be looking at. Uh, I, I don't necessarily discount any round because of its weight um, or velocity or anything else. Uh, I want to know what, what uh, terminal performance parameters and what functional reliability and accuracy does it bring to the table.
1: Cool. So, like an HST, you're you're pretty much you're golden.
5: Those work. The HST, the original Gold Dots, uh, the original Ranger Talons, those are all functionally very very solid loads. Um, if you want something that maybe offers a touch more penetration, uh, for example, you're a highway patrol officer, um, you're around vehicles all the time, then something like a Gold Dot a Winchester Bonded, a Hornady Critical Duty, I might lean towards those types of loads. But both of, are gonna, both, both of those two sets we just talked about are going to be within that 12 to 18-inch range. One's going to be down in more of the 12 to 15. One's going to be more in the 15 to 18. Uh, all of them will work fine. And whatever, particularly for agencies, if you're with an agency, it's very important to approve two different loads from two entirely different vendors in case there's an ammo shortage like has happened in the last decade. That way, maybe you pick a gold dot and an HST, or maybe you pick a Ranger bonded and a, uh, a Spear G2, but you have two loads from two entirely different vendors so that the agency doesn't get stuck only having one approved load that they can't get that year.
2: Haven't been the guy that orders ammo for an agency, and you got to get tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of rounds at a time uh, I ran into that back in 2006 what Gary's talking about we couldn't get our gold dots that we preferred uh, So I ended up with 124 or plus p ranger t that year it worked pretty good in the shootings we had Uh, I made the case with my bosses that we needed to have an alternative approved ammunition list and basically I went with uh, Gary's uh, his uh, recommended
8: Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite.
2: Ammunition is all being what we would approve. Uh, because like off-duty guns, backup guns, our officers had to buy their own ammo. Uh, made some recommendations for 380, 38 special, a couple other uh, rounds, but basically it was that list, which when you look at it, is pretty wide open, and that left us uh, with the ability to pick any quality load that we could get our hands on in an emergency if we couldn't get what we preferred. Um, looking at uh, preferences, you know, I, I like the Plus P124 grains, I really uh, think that in a service-sized handgun, that that's the way to go. I just you know, Maybe that's a feeling more than anything. However, if I was in an agency that was issuing, say, Glock 34s and Glock 43s, I'd probably run with 147 grain HST because in doing chrono tests uh, and what the bullet was designed to do, it was designed to work within a certain velocity parameter, just like when Roland was talking about M855, and 147 grain HST. Most of your 147 grains, they lose the least percentage of velocity out of the micro guns, and gain the least percentage of velocity out of a longer gun, like a Glock 34. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you're still carrying MP5s or something. You got a longer, you know, seven eight inch barrel. Uh, that 147 grain is going to stay within its design parameters from the short guns and the longer guns. Whereas uh, some of the other rounds won't do that. That dead
1: pause is the worst.
2: Uh, and I, I never know what to, you know, should I say over and out? I don't know. Yeah.
5: Earlier on, Roland talked about making long-range shots. Let's touch on that for a moment. Cool. When we're talking about defending ourselves at close range, say under 100 yards, then terminal performance, what the bullet does on the target, is pretty important. As we get further away, you know, 300, 500, 600, 800, terminal performance becomes kind of a moot point because it doesn't matter whether you're shooting a three thirty eight lap mag or a 308 or a 556. pretty much all the bullets are going to hit the target, yaw over, and exit base forward. They're not going to do much else other than that. And so what becomes predominant at longer range, this would be for a military-type shooter, et cetera, is going to be accuracy. So the guys that are worrying about external ballistics that are shooting long-range, military snipers, uh, uh, that particular particular skill set is all about external ballistics. The terminal ballistics is more for the, for the door kicker, for the law enforcement officer, for the uh, home defense uh, situation. Um, even law enforcement snipers are rarely going to take a shot beyond 100 yards. Uh, there's been a few cases over the years, but it's extremely rare. It's more likely going to be across the street. Um, and, and that's where terminal performance is going to be more important in those settings versus
7: a long range setting where accuracy is the king. What else do you guys want to touch
1: on? We have a new guest who might want to add something. Can anybody hear me? Yes. Hey, how's it going? This is J.L. Warren. I'm stepping here to see what all the professionals are talking about. It's uh, entertaining to hear everything. uh, All this knowledge being dropped here. Thanks for uh, letting me uh, check in. I understand you're quite the uh, ballistic suppressor guy. Uh, I'm no expert. I'm just a writer. So, Gary, what exactly were the factors that brought 9mm back up to the top of the, uh, the pile? What, um, what changed in the uh, in the construction of the bullets?
5: Well, there were a couple things. Um, most of the 9mm ammunition that had been designed and built in the... Um, in the 80s and 90s was built around the flawed idea that a lightweight high-speed bullet that created a large temporary cavity was more effective. That old uh, relative incapacitation index um, and the whole pre-fragmented Glazer idea, all that kind of stuff, and that obviously turned out to be a bunch of garbage uh, and and did not work when uh, put to the test and looked at from a pure anatomic and physiological uh, perspective. So when the 40 was designed, the the nine mm really was not performing me terribly well. And so the 40 comes out, and the 40 was built at a time after the FBI had their first wound ballistics symposium, after Dr. Fackler's information had been put out, and at a time when the International Wound Ballistics Association was, was doing a lot of research and publication. And so most of the designers of the 40 took all that information and, and used it in engineering the 40 bullets. Well as 9mm was redesigned, it started to incorporate a lot of those ideas into it. Now the first generation, like Chuck just alluded to, where he talked about how his agency had some early on gold dots that maybe were not so robust in expanding against clothing. um, That plagued 9mm for a bit, but as the engineers uh, worked and uh, refined the projectiles, pretty soon they were robustly expanding against heavy clothing, they were starting to get blind to barriers, and by the early 2000s, the newer generations of, of nines had started working pretty darn well. Um, on the West Coast, we had a number of agencies that were using 147 grain uh, projectiles and had been to very, very good success. Um, and the FBI started uh, using uh, some 9-millimeter loads that passed their testing protocols. And so suddenly we have we have a bullet that's working very well. And at the same time, as Chuck can testify more than anybody that I'm aware of, the 40 caliber Glocks that had predominated law enforcement shooting proved to be very problematic from a functional and durability standpoint. At the same time, we're starting to get a lot of marginal shooters, smaller statured shooters, shooters with uh, no military experience coming into law enforcement. And agencies were cutting back on the amount of training, and uh, a lot of the newer officers were not into the shooting sports. So they they weren't shooting competition. They weren't uh, involved in, in sport shooting in any way. And so their only time shooting was maybe two or three times a year for quals. And so we have a, a handgun that's, that's maybe not functioning very well. We have a bullet that's got slightly, or a cartridge that has slightly sharper recoil that's making our smaller statured, less experienced shooters uh, have difficulty passing the qual test. So then we get we get things like the FBI having to download their 40 caliber cartridge multiple times, trying to get that cartridge to function in the weapons and uh, be controllable by their more marginal shooters. And we see that across the board at multiple law enforcement agencies. Meanwhile, the 9-millimeter weapon systems are functioning extremely ri- reliably. They're uh, you know, easy to shoot even for less experienced shooters. Um, and uh, the folks that are using them um, have higher qualification scores. A number of agencies that issued 40 would give a 9-millimeter to their, to their uh, marginal shooters, and suddenly they would pass the quals. And that kind of opened up the eyes to a lot of folks. At the same time, we're starting to get 9-millimeter projectiles that are punching through car windows okay, they're offering ideal 12- to 18-inch performance um, in testing and on the street, and suddenly, wow, 9 millimeters not looking so bad anymore.
1: You know, I, I don't think it would be a bad idea to reiterate what you just said also early on in, this, in your uh, explanation. Fast projectiles looking for some magic uh, magic performance. I know uh, Haggard has, has brought this up in this. It seems to be the bane of his existence in our Facebook novice group.
2: But everybody comes up with the good idea theory every every few years it seems like the they think they're the first guy that thought up high velocity light for caliber fragmenting handgun ammunition like that's never been done before. You know, Glazer safety slugs go back to, I don't know, Gary, was that like the 1960s or something like that, when the Glazers first showed up? I think early 70s, perhaps. Yeah, I've uh, i have seen the aftermath of shootings with Glazers, and I am under-fucking-whelmed. Uh, you have bullets that don't penetrate. Uh, one of my friends, Wayne Dobbs, was uh, telling me, down in Texas they were carrying the 110 grain plus P plus 38 back in the revolver days uh, well known to to mushroom and that was the the darling of the relative uh, incapacitation in in, relative incapacitation index people Uh, but they had some very notable failures in uh, in the shootings with those bullets Uh, conversely I think part of what drove the, the whole caliber idea was uh, the the idea that handguns can somehow magically stop people. I don't know if it's TV or whatever, you know, that you hit somebody with one bullet, they're going to drop over. The thing with the forty-fives, you know, it'll spin you around if you hit a guy in the thumb, that kind of crazy stuff. Uh and then so we have failures. People, the bullets aren't doing what people expect them to do. So they start looking for magic bullets. If they're bigger bullets, if they're exploding bullets, if they're fragmenty bullets, um, but you can't get past the fact that you need a handgun bullet that penetrates sufficiently and you have to shoot accurately enough to put those bullets where they need to go. Period. Um, One of my friends that uh, has significant experience with uh, NYPD uh, and uh, with State, uh, Gary knows who I'm talking about but I'm not going to bust him out on the internet right now, uh, has been involved with over 20 shootings with 9mm full metal jacket. And to steal a quote from him, uh, none of the people that got shot were unimpressed with the cartridge. But the guys I'm talking about can really shoot. I had a conversation with Pat Rogers one time, and he told me the old 38 lead semi-wide cutter, because on NYPD they didn't even have hollow points. He said, you know what? They worked pretty good if you could shoot. Uh, another friend of mine, Ed Lovett, he's a retired CIA guy. He was a he's famous for his snubby book. He made an observation that the old 38 round nose lead 158 grain worked a lot better than people gave it credit for and uh, what I see from those guys uh, is good shooters who can place shots under duress shooting ammunition that penetrates sufficiently or more and you have a recipe for success even when you know the internet or mythology says that those bullets will get you killed on the street we know from history that uh, glazers, mag safes, uh, and some of the modern iterations, you know, RIP, whatever, whatever kind of crap ammo people come up with, um, uh, bullets that don't penetrate well are a recipe for failure. Uh, I think one of the things that has driven 9mm coming back is people shoot more, they want to shoot better, and I think people are starting to get the memo that in a 9, a 40, or a 45, that handguns don't uh, possess stopping power, uh, that we're starting to see with some of the high-capacity handguns, like Glock 21s, Glock 22s. If you look at, like, Jared Reston's incidents, uh, you look at the Pete Solis shooting where he was armed with a, a Glock 22 loaded with 165-grain uh, Ranger T. That once we got high capacity, larger caliber pistols, and we were seeing the same failures that we were seeing with the 9mm, where sometimes you have to shoot people 15, 18, 20 times before they go down, um, even when you shoot them well. Uh, Another one of my friends, uh, Tim Grammons, shot a guy uh, repeatedly and, uh, you know, quote, center mass. with a with his Glock 21, 230 grain jacketed hollow points, and the guy didn't stay down until the third headshot landed. Uh, you know, if that would have been a nine millimeter, everybody would have been blaming the caliber. Uh, when it happened with a 45, a lot of people were like, "Oh crap." Uh, you know, maybe maybe there is something to that. Uh, I know Jared or uh, uh, Tim has gone. Uh, Back to a nine millimeter because he wanted more ammo when he almost ran out of forty five caliber rounds in his shootout. Um, I'm kind of babbling now, so I'm going to pass it off.
3: No, uh, hey Chuck, I'm, I'm back up on comms, buddy. I, I'm sorry that I uh, I missed the conversation. I had a, a technical issue over here and I had to reboot my computer. So n- number one, uh, 380. If I shoot a dude right in the fucking t box with a ball. You're saying that's just as good as you know, just whatever else. Like if I shot placement, that guy like right. If I put him where I need to put them, 380 ball is going to be as as good as as it is for that sub sub par caliber. Is that, is that what I'm hearing from you?
5: Let let me interject something here because I I, I tend to work on people that have been shot in the face. Um, I've seen more 380s bounce off people's faces than any other caliber.
3: All right, so am I better? Am I better off with three in the three in the sternum than one uh, in the fucking eye socket? And no, I, the
5: eye eye socket's the place you want to put it. You don't want to put it up on the forehead because it may bounce off that buttress bone. So yeah, that's the problem with rounded, uh, slow bullets like that. Um, <laughs> they tend to want to bounce off. You see it with forty five balls sometimes too, but I've probably seen more in three eighty than anything else. Uh, hey
3: man, I, I'll I'll put it where you tell me to put it. You, so I need to shoot people in the fucking eye.
5: Uh, pretty much the 380. That's like the Noted. Uh, optimal spot. Okay. Uh, one, once you've done that, once you've optimally placed the bullet, a 380 ball round or a 9 millimeter ball round, you're gonna do the same dang thing.
3: All right, I'm good. Uh, uh, and again, so no issues. Like center of mass of the chest, three and a fifth size group between the lungs. Uh, you know, nipple level, right in there. Um, that that guy's gonna be in the hurt locker? Yes? No?
5: If you hit something important, but remember, a bullet could be moved over a tenth of an inch and miss everything. And one that's, you know, from the outside they look identical, but on the inside it's just slightly off.
3: So yeah, keep right. shooting,
5: man. That's that's why I'm a huge uh, advocate of more bullets in the gun. I can't Un- think of. A...
3: Unfortunately, the, the the 42 doesn't. So I at some point, yeah. I'm slide lock. I'm going to hit him in the nose with the gun as I throw it. Exactly. and now I'm just beating him like a fucking caveman. Uh, yeah, I mean, it yeah. is what it is. I, I'm, I'm still ahead of the game as opposed to starting off with beating him like a caveman. However, <laughs> it would be nice to stop the fight in six bullets. You know, back in the day, police officers all over the world did it with, with six shots of three for seven. Like, if, when that's all you got in the gun, somehow you managed to line up those sights and make those <clears> hits count. Um, I, I would love to go back and historically look at uh, you know, rounds fired versus, uh, it, shooter stopped, uh, old school wheel gun when you knew I'm about to run out of shit versus uh, I got a bunch of shit. But uh, that's a, it's probably a conversation from the other day that doesn't actually pertain to ballistics. Um, so, uh, it, did the viewers get a full read on about jail? Like, he, he's not just a writer. Uh, he's an active, uh, current member of the DoD he's getting out he's done some great stuff for his country and he is uh, as a result of his writing has become a uh, major enthusiast of uh, I'm, I'm certainly not gonna go down the road of, like three percenter but like that prepper lifestyle and like understanding how fragile our, our ecosystem is and what would happen if you know uh, so so he uh, he's much, much more attuned than, like, say, uh, I would even go like your Tom Clancy, where they're just like they're nerding out just enough to know about their material so that they can write, and not make themselves look like an idiot. Like the stuff that J.L. is writing about, uh, even if you use zombies as a metaphor, like that's that's kind of like what his lifestyle's about. So um, he's actually a pretty pretty switched-on guy you know i had to make a little dicks joke on one of his facebook posts cuz he came out on the gun but like other than that like jl's like he's on point about trying to educate himself and be a part of like that that self-reliant lifestyle i'll just say, i'll i'll leave it at that so he's not just we didn't just bring on some dork that writes books cuz we all like zombies and be like oh yeah hey you can be part of the cool guy club that's not what this is about like jl has and shoots uh, 300 Blackout, 300 Blackout Supersonic, 300 Blackout Subsonic, 22. Like, like he is all about um, that that synergy between the weapon system, the suppressor, the ammunition, uh, and, and then what are the ballistic effects uh, of that. So I just want to let everybody know that not only do we have a special guest, but his celebrity status is not what got him into this room with me, if, if that makes sense to everyone. And we do have a nerd already here. Bills here, so... Hey, what
5: what is the internet fascination with subsonic ammunition?
3: Ooh, is this why I get to tell the bee story? Sure. Okay, so... Uh, as, as has... In, in certain internet circles, the term, given them the bees, it came from a specific example of um, an individual that didn't understand how the MP5SD was designed by the Germans. They wanted a suppressed machine gun that would fire 115 Granado ball coming out of the barrel or coming out, you know, at, at supersonic speeds um, in a normal gun. Well, they couldn't have the supersonic crack of the round, so they ported the barrel of the MP5SD to bleed off all of those gases. We would call that inefficient in all other manners of suppressor design because most suppressors and their baffle technology actually increase the velocity of the round. So the Z Germans made uh, the MP5 SD to take one fifteen grain ball and then simmer down. Now bring it on back to below to below that supersonic threshold so that it wasn't giving you the crack, 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 crack of the round. Now. If somebody's not a gun dude and they don't know that, and they are, uh, uh, they have access to subsonic ammunition, you get into a a double entendre, if you will, where somebody takes subsonic nine and then feeds it into an SD, and the gas bleeding process that turns supersonic into subsonic now turns nine mil into three eighty, uh from a uh, terminal wound ballistic standpoint. So um, one such individual that didn't understand how an MP5SD worked and said, oh, 9mm subsonic, that's what you use with guns that have silencers, uh, loaded up for bear with some subsonic. And uh, he got into a lethal force encounter where a bunch of dudes were departing rapidly because uh, we'll call it the popo, were banging on the front door Police, we have a warrant. And he's like, I'm outie. And he runs out the back with an AK and the police are already up on the roof. And so uh, this dude is is trucking uh, you know, gun all day long, confirm hostile guy, and this dude uh, goes full auto on this MP5 SD and like that and he hits this guy. Unfortunately, this dude is wearing some Eastern European gangster uh, pleather jacket and these subsonic 9-mil rounds that are now uber subsonic through the SD start impacting this dude's body cavity so he's going through heavy pleather and, and then into his body and he starts thrashing and like trying to like wipe them off like he's getting stung by wasps so he like he dumps his AK and he's staggering and like bees huh? they're all on me uh, and he's just getting filled in with full auto 9-mil from a suppressed gun from a distance of about, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 feet. And the SD's just giving him the business. And this guy is just, he keeps trying to wipe it off. And, like, you're not wiping off ammo that's hitting you, dog. Like, you're getting shot right now, like, 18, 20 times. You're getting filled in. And eventually the terminal performance of uh, a fusillade of subsonic 9 mil fired through the MP5 SD platform resulted in somebody that had a real gun popping him in the grape with a five five six and ending the shenanigans. But that's where the term the bees came from. Because as this dude was running, he was trying to wipe off the suppressed nine millimeter hits that were making contact with his body. And when they searched the body, there were actual like rounds caught in the leather jacket that it almost like acted like a, a body armor for this dude. Um so Note to all SWAT teams, if you have an MP5 SD, because you need it to be quiet, quote, quote, hashtag quiet, run whatever you want to through there. As long as it's not plus P, plus, 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 the engineering of that weapon in its design is going to bleed off the energy of your cartridge. Now, make sure that your cartridge was not designed to perform at a level of FPS, like. It, again we're going back to the M855 analogy if you get a self-defense load that's designed to expand to however many millimeters of diameter and this much whatever take into account that you're now using a load that's gonna come out of the barrel at a subsonic velocity and and just take that into account so if that's you know 124 grain coming out now at whatever just factor it all in understand the engineering Of the gun that you're employing, and not just be like, oh, it's an SD. It's got a sign.
0: Say goodbye
8: our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
3: That means I must shoot subsonic. Traditional guns with screwed on uh, suppressors that would be a more logical conclusion to come to but the MP5 SD is uh, you know it, it, it's a unicorn in the firearms world in that these high-speed German engineers made that motherfucker for one purpose and it was to take military hardball ammo and spit it out at subsonic uh Speeds to create the lightest, uh, excuse me, the quietest nine millimeter submachine gun that's ever been created. The bees.
9: I think there was a well, I, my recollection might be effed up on this, but I know a local SWAT team, <clears throat> excuse me, got into a uh, a shootout with a a big fat lady in a closet, um, and and he gave her the whole magazine, and, and she just stayed standing there, and then they were worried about their ammo, but it was it was I think it was related to that where they had NSD an and and, uh, and subsonic ammo in the gun. But I think probably the most famous um, is the good guy's incident where uh, at least one of those dudes made entry with an MP5 SD and, and he had a breech loader. So uh, now it rounds being infected, but it wouldn't cycle his gun, which is a suck time to figure that out in the middle of the fight.
2: Locally, we had a team that was doing that. I was getting ready to do a pre-rate briefing. They were helping us out, <clears throat> and because I'm a gun geek and they showed up with uh, SDs, I asked them what kind of ammo they were shooting, and it was 147 grain. I asked them if they'd test-fired it. No, no, they hadn't test-fired their duty ammo. they have been shooting ball at the range, but the the duty ammo was expensive, so they never test-fired it. Uh, I talked them into believing that was a bad idea. Eventually, they tested it, and like Bill was talking about, the uh, SD bled off so much pressure from the rounds that the uh, gun was basically a bolt-action rifle at that point. Very quiet bolt-action, but... You know, you had to fire one round, cycle the gun, fire one round, cycle the gun, because that 147-gram was going too slow to run the gun after uh, those ports bled all the pressure off.
5: I mean, I'm a huge fan of suppressors on law enforcement guns, particularly on long guns for entry situations. Um, but the use of subsonic ammo basically takes your, your nice rifle and neuters that thing into a handgun. And I just don't understand... Or, or see the logic in using it for law enforcement in Conus.
9: Yeah, I, yeah, I don't either. I, and I mean, I, it, to be honest, with you, I, yeah, are, are you still hearing that? I mean, I, I see some some dudes pop up with that occasion but I, I mean, I, I don't recall them being, being law enforcement dudes, and particularly SWAT guys. I mean, yeah, I, I would, you know, yeah, again, you, you can take the boy out of Graham, but you can't take the Graham out of the boy. Or I'm, I'm fairly naive on a lot of stuff, but I would think most of that has been. Been um, silenced at this point where guys know uh, what they need to slap in that gun um, to make it work both effectively terminally and also to, to make the gun operate.
7: Every not.
5: day I get emails from guys and agencies questioning what's going on. Like, uh, you know, we have 55 grain polymer tip uh, duty ammo for our patrol carbines. You know, that stuff penetrates like, you know, six, seven inches. Uh, not a good choice. Or, you know, we're still carrying uh, you know which is more expensive and less available than going to something more modern. Uh, I, I thought this was all solved, too. But like we talked about earlier uh, in this episode, I think there's a whole new generation of guys that don't know what happened before them. And as a result, they're getting duped and or confused or just don't know what they don't know. And we keep seeing it over and over again. Um, like agencies not wanting the guys should shoot more than twice at someone like San Francisco tried to recently do. Uh, What was the physiological and anatomical science behind that? Uh, What was the the shooting incident results that that would question a guy shooting someone more than uh, a couple times in an incident? Uh, That just makes no sense. And so we have all of this uh, media, television, movies, etc. We have all of this social uh, pressures that are not based on the rule of law, it's not based on science, and it's not based on uh, after-action assessments of previous incidents. And and I think
3: that's what we need to continue to emphasize and where we need guys to go. And these dudes all want to be like Mike, and it's like they want to mimic, but they don't understand why. Like, are suppressors a good thing for SWAT? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Okay, so number one, OSHA. Even with active hearing protection, OSHA having suppressors now like if you kick in somebody's door to do a warrant and he votes and he has toddlers and mama and all these other people and he reaches up under the plastic-coated couch cushion and pulls out a blaster and he votes I ain't going back to jail today and you hot him up if you have 10-inch carbines you're introducing multiple weapons at over 130 dB into that environment, and okay, you've got the best marksmanship in the world. You have interjected enough decibels of overpressure into that room that you are probably going to cause permanent hearing loss to his wife, his toddler, the four year old, everybody else in that room. So, suppressed weapons, just from an OSHA liability standpoint. From a workers' comp standpoint, to the SWAT guy, from the from the liability standpoint, to the uh, what what I call in the in the military non-combatants, um, that alone justifies it. Now, the other piece of it is differentiation of fire. When people start shooting guns on the scene, if all suppressed guns are the popo, when you hear a non-suppressed report. Nobody has to call on the radio and ask what the fuck is going on. If you hear bam, 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 that is someone in that house voting at that exact moment. Whereas a dude squirting out the back of the house, fully armed, running into one of your officers and receiving deadly force in response to his immediate threat to the officers on the perimeter is going to have a different report. So just because you're serving a warrant and you hear gunfire does not mean everyone on that task force has to get on the radio and start playing Lieutenant Gorman in the movie Aliens. Opponent, god damn it, what's happening? Like you don't need to do that if you could differentiate the sound of the bullets of the good guys from the sound of the bullets of the bad guys the supersonic threshold has nothing to do with either of the examples that I just gave so a 300 blackout with a 110 grain Barnes TSX round is going to chew a human being alive and not overpenetrate them and maintain under the noise threshold of, of OSHA ear safety so go supersonic all day long as as long as you're within the intent of what your law enforcement divisions suppressed weapon SOP is why the hell how the hell did you justify them in the first place other than I want to be like Mike was was your original requirement based in any type of reality and if so there are other weapon systems other than a suppressed nine millimeter weapon to accomplish what you want nobody is doing century takedown on a warrant you're not gonna shoot pookies like cell phone guard guy like this dude's gonna let us let him know if the bearcat comes down alright fuck him let's shoot him in the face not gonna pass mens rea. let's not even go down that road that ain't the business y'all are in century takedown is not viable law enforcement TTP as much as you guys would like it to be secondly dogs Love me some dogs if you fill a dog in with a gun that is ultimately quiet That dog is not gonna go quiet into the night. He doesn't like getting filled in He is gonna bark louder than the report of your suppressed gun so so you you hop that roddy up you cut the fence The dude's got the double fence with the burglar bars and the dog's running outside. He is buying time to flush his shit. And y'all know it. Fine. Shooting that Roddy with a suppressed gun is just going to make that Roddy yell like a bitch for the last five seconds that he's alive. So, Popo, stop doing shit just because you've seen it on TV. It doesn't fit your requirement. It doesn't fit what you're ultimately trying to accomplish with your gear. So stay away from subsonic ammunition. There's no reason, and I'm saying like specifically tuned down, not 147 just because it falls under twelve hundred feet per second, Chuck. That's an actually that that's a, a very good point. That you've got a viable, hey, this is what we carry in our pistols. Let's just throw it in our sub guns. That's a totally different argument. I'm talking about tuned down nine mil ammunition for the purpose of shooting through uh regular submachine guns that are then canned to keep them under that that 1200 variable so so I, I need to throw that out there not like all y'all are dumb like purpose-built suppressed gun 9 mil versus it just happens to be under the FPS of breaking the sound barrier uh, so, over
5: yeah basically we don't want to shoot subsonic out of our long guns fact boom and with dogs you know, CO2 fire extinguishers work real good against dogs.
2: Can I uh, can I throw in we don't want to shoot subsonic out of long guns that are actual rifles. Uh, if you're still stuck with a pistol pistol caliber submachine gun, subsonic might be a good idea, but that's just uh, a big pistol, dude. Yeah, you don't want to turn your rifle into a pistol. Exactly. You don't want to be shooting subsonic
5: 300 blackout, subsonic uh, 556 out of your long gun in law enforcement. Ain't no purpose for it.
3: Right. Uh, if you have a submachine gun without a suppressor um, and you've got a little bit longer barrel, uh, I- I'm kind of digging the ballistic performance of, like, your 147 coming out of, you know, however many inches of, uh, let's say, mp 5 3 if for whatever reason you're still carrying subguns which baffles my shit but if that's your thing if, if if that's what you're running an unsuppressed A3 with a really high performance i mean dude if it works that good out of a out of a 5 inch uh, pistol uh, you throw a little extra velocity at it you need to be prepared for a little bit extra penetration but the expansion and everything else is is still probably going to be you know on on par in there so so 147 out of like MP5A3 doesn't like make me want to fucking torture baby kitten. Like that's not like <laughs> deliberate negligence of you know the the ballistic gods. Um, yeah, that's just hey man, that's that's my doodle. Uh, that's my doodle. I run my pistol. Let me run this shit in my rifle too. Especially like an MP5K. Whatever you run in your pistol, run that shit in an MP5K. If it kills people good in your handgun, it's gonna kill people good in your in in uh, your PDW if you will.
1: Hey, Gary, how are you on time?
3: I'm still doing good, man.
1: Cool. Um, What about, are there any advantages with a pistol carbine or a pistol caliber carbine? Because those seem to have grown in huge popularity recently.
5: Yeah, why? Those are stupid. Okay, Okay. you're going to pick up a long gun... Yeah, maybe you have a little more ability to shoot accurately uh, with a shoulder-fired pistol-caliber carbine, but essentially you're you're giving up everything that you want to do. I would much rather have a shotgun or a patrol carbine or a real rifle. Heck, I'd rather have a, a .30-30 lever gun than some stupid 9mm pistol-caliber carbine.
1: Awesome. Man, I, so many sacred cows are being
2: slaughtered. I love it. I'd agree with that all day. Um when you need a rifle, you need a rifle.
5: Yeah, the other thing, too, is most folks would be a whole lot better off, you know, shooting 10, 15, 20,000 rounds a year of 9-millimeter ball out of their pistol than worrying about all this ammunition stuff. The training it cannot be emphasized enough. Um, a lot of this ammunition stuff is trying to help agencies maximize bang for the buck and trying to do all that kind of stuff. For the average person, pick an effectively performing round. You know, buy a couple cases of it and then be done. Uh, spend all of your time and money on training and practice. Uh, this idea of buying, you know, 15 different handguns, you know, um, and uh, worrying about the the best ammo is just ludicrous. Um, get two or three of the same handgun. I don't care if it's a Glock, a Sig, a HK. I don't care what it is. Pick two or three of the same gun. Uh, have one that you verify and is your daily carry gun. Have one that's your training gun that you beat the snot out of and train all the time on it and don't worry too much about it. Have an extra backup one stashed for, uh, in, in case the, uh, the, the sad event occurs where you actually have to use one and, and your primary goes into evidence, which you're not going to see again for many years uh, in, in some situations. Um, that's what folks need to do. They don't need to be buying a new gun every month. They don't need to be trying the latest thing. Pick one gun, stick with it for 10 years, and learn how to master that puppy. And uh, stop worrying about all this other ludicrous stuff. Oh, and while I'm ranting, if you have a gun on you, you better darn well have a thing of combat gauze and a tourniquet on you as well.
2: Keep on going. Keep on
7: going. Uh,
2: that's Gary, right you there, forgot right? uh you forgot buy a case of your carry ammo and quit shopping for the flavor of the day.
5: No, I said buy two buy a couple cases of your carry ammo. I did say that initially. Um you know, don't yeah. buy don't buy your carry ammo by the box. Buy, you know, a thousand or two thousand rounds of this stuff. Uh, verify that it works. You know, maybe once a year check POA uh, and POI. But, you know, stop worrying about it. Shoot ball ammo and training and just go for
7: it.
1: And then also to back up uh, Chuck with another thing that he says and get a backup for your, your guns too.
5: I, I, I don't know what Chuck's going to say, but I, I, let me just say this. If, if someone gave me 30,000 rounds of ball, 9mm a year, I would carry 9mm ball in my gun and not think twice about it because I would much rather have the training to accurately place that ball round. And be, be absolutely consistent with it than buying the latest, greatest, bang, you know, special uh, ammo that, uh, you know, I don't care how good it is. There's nothing can replace training and um, the ability to uh, make your hits. Nothing can replace that. And so that's the number one thing. And only after that do we need to start worrying about all this, this subtlety of, of ammunition.
2: I'm guessing guys like Roland never canceled a mission because uh, they didn't have the optimal ammo beforehand like oh shit we've only got green tips so we better go home and not do this hit
3: yeah no, I I already discussed this in uh, the home defense thread like stop splitting hairs about your 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 home defense ammo for the for the most part you know uh, if you're running .2 uh, splits I don't care if it's 193, M855, uh, you know, or the or the best uh, expanding varmint round. Like, if I'm impacting your center torso chest at a rate of five rounds a second until you quit that bite, dude, in two seconds, by the time your body fi- figured out you quit that bite, I've hit you ten rounds between the nipples in two seconds. Like, you are so fucked up. There is no way you're recovering from that. Like, none. Like, at that point, uh, expansion, blah, blah, blah. Like, all the other shit doesn't matter. At a a 10-foot gunfight, if in two seconds when I see the gun, I'm like, you're in my house, you got a gun. Two seconds later, you have sustained 10 5.56 hits between your nipples and below your neck. Deal with it. Fucking have fun bleeding out, motherfucker. That's how that's going to go. I don't care what the bullets are. As long as they go bang and cycle my rifle, you're getting ten. You're getting ten and two. So fuck you. The rest of it's just ballistic masturbation, man. We're just we're arguing over our, our favorite sports team at that point.
2: Yeah, I I think in the home defense context, that is that's completely valid. I've seen some people blown up really bad with M one nine three 55 grain soft points, things like that. And when it's, you know, uh, a 16 to 20 inch barrel and you're shooting somebody across a living room, then uh, that, that takes a lot of the variables out of, you know, it's different if you're in a North Hollywood fight and you're, you you got, a, you got a dude in a car with a rifle wearing body armor. Well, then, you know, you might want to have some good ammo. But yeah, I, I agree, uh, you know, hell, I... In in that context, in civilian shootings, in a civilian context in the United States, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why virtually every 22 long rifle, rifle shooting that I've seen in my career, I can't think of one that was not a homicide. Uh, The bullets penetrate sufficiently. Most of your 22s tend to be semi-autos. Guy puts a lot of rounds down range. He hits what he's shooting at. Um, You know, that... The, the fact that it's a shitty little bullet kind of doesn't really matter at that point
3: you know no, man um that actually uh, those of you that like techno fiction we're gonna go back to Tom Clancy like way back in the 90s and uh, his clear and present danger deal about the uh dealio with the cartel, he does a caveat or a vignette in that story about a, <laughs> a narco team coming to whack a dude. And I don't know if it, the kid was part of the household that was getting hit. I think he was just kind of an innocent bystander from a home that that had uh, had brought him up right. But he like whipped out this tube-fed 22 rifle, and while Al Al Jefe and the boys are like mac tending it in the front yard against their primary target. He's busted out a window pane in mom and dad's front yard. He's like, pew, 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 pew. And he ends up dumping like, you know, three, four of these Colombian hitmen in the front yard of this house during a, uh, a narco hit. And uh, that, that resonated with me when I was in high school the idea of a kid with a rifle um, being able to do that kind of damage. Uh, and I don't know if you were ever in there on Modcast. Um, Chuck, when I talk about but this, but that exact thing happened to my father when I talked to him about reading Tom Clancy's book. It was like, hey, this kid with a twenty-two rifle, he was like, uh, yeah, hey, about that. Let me tell you about my boy. He lost a dude from his state police troop to a family clan uh, retribution uh, attack on his home. Like, you know – uh, the the Johnson brothers, there's six of them, and they're all bad, and all law enforcement knows it, and, and and this officer took three of the Johnson boys to jail, and when they got bailed out, they drank, you know, however many pints of fucking liquor, and they piled into the a fucking pickup truck with shotguns, and drove right up into the officer's front yard, and he, is, he of course, is in his, you know, wife beater, still wearing his shit kickers, and, uh, you know, hanging out with mom, and he's three, four bourbons in, and they're like, come out or we're coming in for you. And he stepped out on his front porch with a wheel gun, but had one of his uh, preteen or teenage sons in Overwatch with a twenty-two and uh, they, burned th- <clears throat> they burned that cop down on his fucking front porch in front of his family. But three of those motherfuckers were dead when, when, the, when the smoke cleared. Uh, between his wheel gun and his son's twenty-two rifle, uh, he he stacked some Johnson brothers in the front yard, old school, and that's like the that's what happens to to law enforcement back in the sixties. Like, you want you know you want to enforce enforce the law, you bet you better be ready to have that shit come back on you. And so my father told me that story in eighty two or eighty three about losing a guy from his troop to a retribution killing from a posse of white rednecks showing up at his crib and his sons not being on the front porch, not being the direction of fire of all the all of the angst. All the angst was uh, uh, focused at his dad. So his dad probably had the most minimal effect on that fight other than to concentrate all of those angry people's shotguns and rifles against him while the little boy just fucking picked him off uh, while his old man was getting killed on the front porch. And and boxers, shit kickers, and a damn wife beater with a wheel gun in his right hand and a bourbon in his left, I'm assuming. So, yeah, it's a 22, 22s are a real thing, man. I'm all on board.
5: You know, for the classic home defense thing or, or for anybody, you know, yeah, have a gun, right? And then if you have a gun, it's better to have a real long gun. And from there, then we can start talking about esoteric stuff. But, you know, have a gun, and if preferable, have a long gun. And, and then everything gets better from there.
2: I would agree with that.
5: So let's, let's recap up to this point. If you're a law enforcement agency, you want to have uh, uh, some, some specific things when you're picking ammo. And I'm going to uh, sort of preface this by saying uh, Supervisory Special Agent Buford Boone of the FBI uh, has articulated this extremely well. Um, and, and basically, this is for any self-defense shooting situation where you have a choice of picking your ammo. You want the ammo to be blind to impact yeah. So in other words, if it hits something on the way to the target, it, it does not uh, cause the bullet to, uh, to, to have an issue. It's, it's barrier-blind. In addition, when the bullet hits the target, it doesn't yaw immediately. It, uh, penetration, you want it to be 12 to 18 inches. Um, you don't want that bullet to yaw in tissue. You should want it to stay point forward for at least 12 inches. You want that bullet to keep going straight in tissue after it impacts. You don't want it spinning off to one side or the other. You don't want the bullet coming apart into pieces. You want to limit the fragmentation of the bullet, uh, otherwise it won't be barrier blind. Um, and you want the bullet to perform consistently from 0 to 300 meters or so. And you want it to be accurate enough, if it's a long gun, to hit out to about 600 meters.
8: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously.
0: If
5: you have all those things together, you're going to have an effective long gun bullet, and uh, similar with handguns, you'll have effective handgun bullet, except for that's the long range stuff we just talked about. So we want, you know, what what an agency needs to know to buy bullets is pretty straightforward. They just need to do it to ensure that their officers and the citizens in their community are appropriately protected. Um, What absolutely astounds me is the number of agencies throughout the United States and Canada that don't accurately effectively and logically pick
9: their
7: munitions. Hey, so Gary, what the, you said accurate out to
9: 600 um, and, and then you also threw the, the term accurate enough out there. Uh, so give me, what what is the accuracy standard for Gary Roberts um, at 100 yards? I mean, what, well again, what this is, is
5: something Buford came up with, but he wants to be able to hit a man sized target up to 600 with whatever ammunition is selected.
9: Okay, did he break that down um, to group size at 100?
5: Uh, no, we did not. Okay. Uh, there, there is other information in this. I'll be happy to talk to you about offline. But basically, that's that's the uh, the short story of it. Gotcha. So, so
9: for me, it's been a 16-inch patrol car beam with good ammunition. <clears throat> and if I can take some of the shooter variables out it, uh, out of it and bench rest it, um, I, I want to see a two-inch group at
7: a at mass maximum. No, no more than two inches out of a patrol car beam with decent ammunition.
3: But you, you're you're planning against your worst case. Uh, what if I told you you could have on an X factor better terminal performance, but you were going to get a three MOA uh, three MOA cartridges? So, so, so I'm busting your standard by an additional inch, but I'm showing you quantifiably better data within the block. Cause I'll tell ya, you, you're not gonna beat five-five-six accuracy. You're not gonna beat uh, your 77 grain. It ain't the best man stopper. Nobody is running that shit in a house. oh, uh, okay. Some people are probably running it in a house, but 77 grain is a that that's a tack driver field load. You know what I mean? So and we had to run the same thing with, dude. When your battle rifle and your urban sniper rifle or the same rifle, you get in some significant drama. Significant drama. So that platform, platform X, if I run uh, whatever 175 grain Uber fuck it, BC, boat tail, whatever, when I shoot that shit in a bliss of gelatin it's smoking through like 28 inches. It's like, nope, that's a shoot-through round. If I took that round that I used for DMR and I jammed it into 20-round mags and I loaded a full chest rig of that shit and I ran out and ran that same gun as a battle rifle, that gun is not acceptable. That load-gun combo is not acceptable for. Uh, CQB. I can't use my battle rifle for CQB. It violates. It overpenetrates in every category. What I need that gun to be able to do, but that's the most accurate shit out of that uh, out of that gun. Like that's the tack driving one MOA shit. Okay, but I select this other round, and this other round has massive expansive uh, properties creates big, huge, fat moon channels in people, bleeds off that extra 7.62 energy. Oh, but when the snipers lay down, it's only holding two minutes of angle at 100. And that is, that's like, oh, about a a minute .75 unacceptable to the average fucking 100-meter sniper. Whoa, two minutes at 100? Fuck that. Because they're thinking about T-box percentage shot on a hostage. I got to be sub one. Minimum sub one. So that same gun is capable of that performance with a different fucking bullet. And it's a simple matter of I'm going to take gun X, and when I feed it with this, it will meet my accuracy standard. And when I, when I feed it with this, it will meet my over penetration threshold. To not fucking have an 88 Magnum that shoots through schools. Over.
5: Absolutely. That's why I'm a. I'm always astounded at law enforcement snipers that are still shooting Sierra Match King bullets out of their 308s because yeah, it's super accurate at 600 meters, but they're shooting you know 25, 30, 50, 78 meters across you know uh, a street or uh, you know fairly close range. It's under 100 almost always. So I'm willing to give up. 0.2 MOA to have a much more effective cartridge in that situation. I'm up, you know, 2 MOA? Yeah, no problem. Uh, for a hundred-yard gun, no problem at all. Um, I would much rather have the more effective ammunition and, and give up a little bit than have something that's going to shoot through every time or be very inconsistent in terms of its its uh, capability against barriers and in soft tissue. So yeah, uh, as long as you can hit your expected target. If your expected target is to hit a 3x5 card at a hundred, boom, if the bullet can do that, I'd rather have the better performing one. Um, if your expected target is to hit a head at um, you know, 300, great, uh, or a body at 600. As long as you can do what your target threshold is, then I'd rather have the better performing bullet.
9: I think we're saying the same thing. The, uh, my point was that with modern ammunition, with good uh, bonded rounds, with the, with all, meets all the parameters that you guys are talking about, two MOA is not that tough of a standard to me,
7: and, and that's all I'm saying yep I have officially run out of questions by the way
5: okay Let, let's touch one more thing so I have got a nice 556 five, gun that penetrates 12 to 18 inches and uh, it works pretty dang good it's pretty barrier-blind everything's cool what if I run you know an intermediate caliber 260 270 what if I run a 308 and it still penetrates because I have a really good bullet It
7: still penetrates 12 to 18 inches what's the difference there ain't exactly so uh, but I are you so you're saying
9: 308 556 same same right I mean I do get some advantage from the the heavier 308 round oh heck yeah but know, what I'm and, saying
5: is one is not necessarily more dangerous than the other in terms of over-penetration hazard if they both penetrate yeah. the same depth.
9: I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I just I'm get a bigger you. hole. Yep, I got you 100%. It's funny, Gary, I, I think we maybe you and I talked at one point when we first started our, uh, our DM program uh, with 308s, and the bosses wanted us to shoot uh, the 110 grain um, AMAX round because they were scared about the 308s going out with heavier rounds. So, uh, you know, some of that shit is out there.
5: It's like the bosses that want guys to only carry handguns and not patrol carbines, but the whole patrol carbine is actually less penetrative than their stupid handguns are.
9: Yep, that's fact.
5: So we didn't talk about body armor or shields or any of that stuff, uh, which I would love to do at some point, but, yeah, uh, you know, so far pretty good. Thank you.
1: No, we absolutely can do that. Um, unfortunately, Mike Martin couldn't make it, and he's our resident armor guy. Though Bill has a great video about Shields.
5: I'm a big shield fan.
9: Yeah, but I think we we've talked before, too, Germain, and uh, we're kind of different because I, th- I think that you are a uh, you wanted to be an M855 rated uh, ballistic shield, right? That that is your preference.
5: Nope, not necessarily.
9: Okay, maybe I have misinterpreted you in the past, and uh, I, so I think you got to have uh, both. I think you should have some 3A shields and uh, and some heavier shields to to stop those rifle threats, particularly when it's a known deal. Um, but, and I am a proponent of shields. I think you're, you're foolish not to bring one at least to your entry point on dynamic hits. Uh, I think you should have a variety of shields in your truck so that when you go to Barricade Tactics, or surround a call-out tactics, guys can deploy with known ballistic protection versus hoping uh, what they find is going to stop whatever the threat might be. Um, you know, I, they, they have so much value to a SWAT team to me that it's, uh, it's absolutely foolish when I see guys not using them. Uh, or they have one and they don't break it out, uh, but I, it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier too, Gary. And that is, you know, the the team has a trita now, um, and nobody talks about the benefits of the shield. Maybe their op tempo was slow, so they don't get to use it that often, uh, and they forget just how valuable it can be, both inside the target and, and outside on approach. Uh, you know, I mean, fuck, it's a hasty litter. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, put a canine yep. in the attic. It's a great fucking tool. Uh, you know, there's a million fucking things that that some bitch comes in handy for. Um, and so I do believe, and it's a great impact weapon to boot. i got some of my hands I can just stomp the shit out of you with uh, pretty pretty easily. So um, I think there's a, a ton of good
7: reasons to bring them up.
5: Um, and I'm assuming at some point you guys have talked about uh, 5.7 millimeter, 4.6 millimeter, and all those little PDW pieces of crap.
1: We have, but it wouldn't be bad to have it on on record officially. Uh,
5: they are a very niche weapon, and they certainly have no place, for the most part, in Kona's law enforcement.
1: And so being inefficient for or not being optimal for law enforcement means it probably also isn't good for home defense, self-defense, and all that other good stuff.
5: Oh, heck no. They only work well on full auto when you dump a lot of rounds on someone, and most law enforcement agencies don't have the training cycle or the training funds for their guys to be training on full auto for a little gun that's going to eat up their ammo budget real fast.
1: You are hurting so many feelings right now.
5: I am so sorry. I'm just a dentist, though.
1: I love it
9: ain't hurting mine I'm digging it
3: I shoot people a lot with little tiny bullets when I use little tiny bullets that's all I got
7: so Roland when you're using little tiny bullets I'm assuming you're using the little tiny bullets on full auto
3: when, a, yeah,
5: when
3: for, able to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fact. I actually made a meme, uh, uh, internal uh, organizational meme, uh, that basically said, "4.6 uh, is actually uh, 69 millimeter when you shoot somebody 15 times." And the uh, the individual question that was a big uh, ballistic hater based upon the data, like he was like, "Don't you perpetrate that fraud? Don't you perpetrate that fraud?" I was like, dang, man, that's just a joke. I'm just joking. Like, it's just, you know, this homie's talking about, you know, homie shit. It's all cool. Um, I do know for a fact uh, that ballistically between 4.6, 5.7, and whatever the fuck Knight's caliber was, that actually the 4.6 did the best. Best, yeah, Absolutely. But, but you need to dump a lot of rounds on the target. Fact. And I had dudes, and this is why you guys have to understand ballistics. I had a salesman showing me like high-speed ballistic photography, and he's showing like the height of the temporary wound cavity when the jaw's like, and he's like, pause. And I'm like looking at this guy like, okay, Maybe some other like less informed fucking dude thinks that means something. That is a shockwave. Only the fucking destruction of tissue pre and post matter. So freezing the frame on your thousand frame per second jello like getting rocked by your fucking high velocity shit does nothing to me. Maybe somebody will buy that. Maybe some SWAT team In the fucking United States, will drink your fucking Kool-Aid. I will not drink your Kool-Aid. Your Kool-Aid does not taste good. It's grape. I don't like grape. Gives you purple lip. I don't like your grape Uh, Kool-Aid. Not too long ago, there
9: was I was seeing stuff about that. There's still a a fairly large team that either had them in inventory or was actively fielding. those small-collar PDWs, but I can't remember the hell it was now, but it was it was a large agency, and, and they had had a shooting or two with them, and had some decent success, and so they were all about them.
5: Jacksonville had a quite a few of them, and, and they had bad success with them.
3: Yeah, it well, that, That's in 5-7, not 4-6, but yeah, yeah. Uh, domestically, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't have any data about 4-6 Lethal Encounters. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I was
9: talking 5-7, my bad.
3: Yeah, 5-7... absolutely like we we have that data um dudes have filled dudes in like big time and that's cool like i was to the point fuck you nadal hussein uh you basically could have walked around it was like a hog execution you could have walked through that fucking soldier support center with a 22 magnum and like power of christ oh excuse me the power of Allah compels you the power of Allah compels you pow and like executed US soldiers and gotten the same fucking body count you got with an FN57. But however, because this fucking dude had an FN57, all of a sudden all of a sudden it is like uh made all the 57 fucking monkeys like, yeah, this is the justification that this round is actually lethal. Natal Hussein killed all these people in fucking Fort Hood with a 5'7". And it just like, it disgusts me to my core that this fucking savage bought a substandard fucking cartridge and walked around and soldiers that were forced to be unarmed by order got summarily executed in waiting room chairs one by one. And the only thing that stopped the fight was a fucking a cop with one 15 grain ball, and they ended up pulling a fo- fucking fighting in the phone booth. She got filled in, he got filled in multiple times by each other, and both them bitches still alive. So, one 15 grain ball fail. Five five six or five seven fail toe-to-toe tack reload face-to-face with full guns three feet apart fuck you no fuck you Beretta 115 grain versus FN57 both them bitches alive slide lock what the fuck is that about preach it That's all I got man that fucking fuck you 5-7 Anybody that takes Donald Hussein as a fucking poster boy for why 5-7 works, I could have walked in with a Ruger Mark whatever and fucking killed as many U.S. soldiers' sheep in that fucking corral as that goddamn Muslim did. Fact. 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 With Gets back to psychology, training,
5: etc. If you're in, an, uh, in one of these mass shooting events, fight back. I don't care if you have to pick up an empty beer bottle or a chair or a fire extinguisher, fight back.
9: Hey, Mech, do you have anything? See, give a dude do some night vision stuff today, and he just goes home and plays with it. He's not even listening. I,
6: I was actually half tempted to have the helmet on when I clicked on the video. No, um, uh, I kind of got distracted over the last 20 minutes of conversation with this thing in, uh, with in Dallas. Um, but it's, it's good stuff, uh, it's the same kind of stuff that, you know, I've been trying to dissuade people from sticking on, it's, it's sad how pervasive a lot of these, the mythos is, with a lot of the, uh, uh, especially like external ballistics, it's not hard to prove, uh, you know, because you can take a guy to the range and show him why it's not true, uh, with fairly simple explanations. You can't do that with terminal, unless you spend the time and the due diligence to review all of this information. You do a lot of reading and who, who, what, what average dude or LE guy is going to spend the time to do that? Average guy. They're not.
5: You know, that's why I started doing this stuff on the internet. Because I, you know, we had lots of classified briefings and tons of stuff that, that uh, never is going to see the light of day. But I kept getting requests from individual officers and individual uh, service personnel asking me questions and it just about stuck in my craw and drove me up the wall that all this research that we were doing at Letterman and at the joint service ballistic team and all of this stuff was going up the chain of command and not one little bit of it was filtering filtering down to the end users and I couldn't abide by that anymore so that's when I started publishing as much as I could without you know, violating any agreements or or security clearances as much as I could on the Internet so that the individual end user would have this information available to him to try to be more informed. Um, And that's the only reason I've done this. Otherwise, I would have been much happier and much easier just to keep putting in my my regular briefings and regular research papers and stuff up the chain of command or, uh, you know, uh, behind closed doors, so to speak. But then guys wouldn't have been getting it and guys would have been stuck with all this myth crap and all of this garbage that keeps getting pushed down their throats.
6: I, I think I know a lot of reasons why that is, and it's not just as you were commenting earlier on people moving up and out. So the guys that are keyed in, move up and out, and give a shit, are gone, and then it's replaced by somebody who doesn't or just has no clue. But there's also the tendency at, at that point in a lot of people's careers that's not their focus anymore. They're they're focused on this huge big picture. Um, and they're, they're not worried about how effective their their 9mm or 5.56 ammunition is in the weapon system that they have issued or chosen for them. So it just it goes in one ear and out the other.
9: Hey, Gary, okay. if, you, if you didn't get the word, man, you've been cleared hot on releasing classified information whenever you want to, so feel free, bro.
7: Yeah, there we go, right? Yeah, that NDA, no big deal. Yep, and that security clearance and everything, yeah, you know, doesn't doesn't apply anymore if I didn't mean harm, right? I do think Mech uh, hit on something though, and that is,
9: uh, you know, depending. It, my, I don't have a big agency, but I, it, but I will say that I am fortunate when I uh, our range master for a long time uh, was a gun guy, and and he was a ballistics guy, and he and he gave a shit about you know researching this stuff and and doing. A lot of junk uh, on his own, um, and, you know, and was tuned in enough to that. When uh, when Doc Roberts uh, finally started putting info out, he was he was right there grabbing it up. Uh, you know, he I know he had contacted Buford Boone very early on, uh, but, but he kind of laid that foundation. And, and as guys coming onto the range staff, uh, I think he had an expectation um, that you know, if yeah, you're, if you're just a range coach, uh, you know, you, open, you you run calls and, and turn targets, and you know, the, the expectation is at some point you're going to transition to an instructor level uh, position. Uh, but, but that's an t- totally encompassing thing. You, you can't just shoot good. Uh, you have to understand what's going on with the ammunition. You have to understand internal, external, internal ballistics. Uh, and, and I think for whatever reason, man, uh, and, and maybe because my chief at the time trusted him, but he gave him a lot of free reign. And uh, and as a result, my agency favors the gun. I mean, we, we shoot a lot. Um, I think we do our due diligence. We're trying to, find, uh, trying to select duty ammunition. We make transitions to, to, to different duty ammunition. We look at our, our uh, officer-involved shootings and how are they occurring, what's our percentages. Uh, are we hitting barriers or not? Are they wide open meat shots? Uh, but if you don't have that man, um, it, it, I can't imagine with the, with the workload that our range master does right now, I can't imagine that being a part time position and having a guy be good at it. I mean it is a ton of work for him to stay on top of the facility, all of the weapons, uh, and optics and everything that's going on, fixing guys shit, you know, the ammunition orders, all that junk. Uh, but some agencies can not support that full-time position so now you got a guy that's you know he's answering, answering patrol calls potentially um, and then trying to do range master uh, stuff on the side and, and he doesn't even have a range right they're, they're renting a range they don't have their own facility and it just makes it problematic um, and, and it's unfortunate to some degree uh, you know it would be nice if, uh, if every police department in the country had their own range and had full access to it uh, like my agency is fortunate to have uh, but I think be, because they don't sometimes uh, some of the, the intelligence part of this the intellectual part of this Um, you know unfortunately goes to the wayside.
5: I mean is it possible especially with a handgun which is very very hard to stay proficient with for officers to be on top of their game with less than
7: about 50 rounds a week? I think that it was I think you could do it uh,
9: you got to build them up to a certain level first, uh, but it's much, much higher than what the average patrol guy uh, ha- has resources to do, right? So the, the amount of ammunition, the, the time to shoot on duty, um, that kind of thing. So you, you'll never attain that. You know, my new chief, I remember when he came in and, and I was taking over the training, and he said, hey, you know, what, what do you think of our uh, current firearms uh, standards? And I said, I think they're pretty piss poor, to be honest with you. And he said, okay, well, tell me what a reasonable guy would say. Obviously, implication being that my standard is is unreasonable. Well, and maybe it is, right? Um, And I'm saying that because I shooting is is also a hobby to me. It's what I enjoy doing. Um, You know, me and my sons have shot competition. It's it's a it's just something that's in me that drives me bug shit not to shoot once a week. Um, But not everybody in my agency is that guy either, right? So if they're not getting time on duty to shoot, then they just flat ain't gonna. Uh, You know, we have. it's problematic within the police department, the, the one tool that will save your life and your partners and their citizens. Um, for some guys, they put it in the locker and they go home without it, and they don't have a gun at all. They don't have one at home. Uh, they don't carry a gun off duty, and it, it's, you know, I don't know how you combat that other than as a, if I were chief for a day and had the, the budget to support it, then I would. I would say, Here, you're going to shoot those guns more often because it's, it's, it's extremely important for this community for you to be extremely proficient. Um, with what really is the symbol of your profession, uh, that and the badge, right? So uh, I'm going to give you duty time. I'm going to force you to do this because I can, because I'm paying you at this moment in time. So you're going to get your ass up there, and this is the standard. And if you can't...
8: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash Wondersuite.
9: Achieve it, then I'm gonna fire you, simple as that. Um, but then, you know, you then you start talking about union shit, and oh my gosh, he's a mean guy, and you know, oh, I'm too fat to go shoot, and whatever the hell, right, my fingers hurt. Uh, and all these excuses pop up, and, and so you know, like every other law enforcement training. If you're not interested, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get with it.
5: I notice in my own shooting, if I shoot less than about thirty-five hundred, three thousand rounds a year, my pistol shooting starts sucking pretty badly. My rifle and shotgun doesn't decay quite as, as, as rapidly, but the pistol shooting, you got to be on top of that stuff. And when I'm dipping under, you know, fifty rounds a week kind of stuff. I just can't maintain the same level of standards of accuracy and uh, and speed as I can when I'm shooting more,
6: and that's I, I can concur with that, and I can even say like it's it's that paired with a decent dry fire regimen. It's yep. not you know the live fire shooting.
2: I even see if you've got minimal resources, minimal time. I know guys that are really into carbines. Uh, It's been my observation, personally, that I think pistol shooting supports carbine shooting better than carbine shooting supports being good with a handgun. I see guys shoot a lot of carbine, they get sloppy and 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 you know they do a shitty job with a handgun, whereas they can uh, stay good with a handgun, maximize a you know if they got minimal training time and ammunition and maximize it on the handgun. They go to pick up a carbine, they do a lot better than uh, than they than the other way around. The the tougher gun to shoot is the one you should train more with, I think, especially when it's your you know. Conus uh, police or or civilian carry scenario that handgun is going to be your primary by default most of the time. So,
3: uh, no shit. Historically, we have data to support using a handgun less than 1% of the time. Handgun occupies 60% of our marksmanship training. I kill people with assault rifles more than anyone else on the planet kills people with assault rifles. And I still spend 6 out of every 10 training hours shooting
2: pistols. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's good shit. Hey, Matt, do you have anything else that uh, you're waiting on right now?
1: I got nothing. Uh,
2: Roland was talking about carrying uh, carrying a Glock 42 earlier and uh, the data and stuff like that. I remember a conversation with one of my mentors, Keith Jones, who retired out of uh, Metro Indiana. He had a number of uh, deadly force incidents. Um, very very astute guy, smart guy. Uh, he'd have been contemporary to guys like, uh, oh, Jim Cirillo in that time frame. Uh, so anyway, uh, it's back in the revolver days, and he decides that what they need is high capacity semi-automatic pistols on his job. So he's going to make this proposal, you know, the bosses is probably going to shoot it down. So he decides what he needs to do is look at the data and he's going to look at their historical gunfights in their area. And he knows that he's going to find uh, incidents where guys have run out of ammo and, and uh, lost a fight or, you know, and been, been in desperate need of more bullets. And then he's going to take that information and he's going to sell the idea of semi-automatic pistols. And so he started looking at some historical data, and I want to say, I forget the exact numbers, but let's say it was 197 uh, police shootings and gunfights over the course of 20 years, the previous 20 years. And in the course of that time, he found one guy that uh, either had to reload or needed to reload. So what he found was, with good shooting, and judicious use of a six-shooter that uh, the vast majority of the time their problem was solved. Um, you know, I'm not advocating the idea that we want to go back to carrying revolvers or six-shooters or anything like that, but if you look at the historical data and context, uh, some of the stuff that, that we work on uh, at the range, reloads, things like that, kind of falls into some of that low-probability minutia, I think, um, and I just throw that out there because, you know, Roland's talking about carrying a Glock 42 sometimes in a, you know, when he has to, and you know, he's only got seven rounds on board, and we all worry about running out of bullets, not having a big enough gun, not having good enough ammo, things like that, but... Um, just throwing that out there for some historical perspective, some, uh, some real-world information.
5: I, I will say this, the last time I had to um, draw a firearm, there were seven bad guys and one of me.
2: <clears throat> I get it, I'm just, uh, I would just say, I, I was a little, when Keith hit me with that information, um, obviously, he did not think that that was going to be what he was going to find, um, but that's what he found, you know. in, in Metro Indiana, and in 190-something police shootings and gunfights, that, that that's what they. That's what he found out that there was one case where a reload was needed.
5: I think we're seeing more multi-offender events
2: these days than we did, you know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago. Could be. Um, I think some of this violence is cyclical. You know, I remember talking to Pat about, you know, if you look at what the cops had to deal with in the '70s—the the counter-war protests, the the uh, you know bombings of police stations, police cars, the SLA, the Weathermen, and all that shit. I think some of this. Uh, Counterculture, anti-government, anti-police crap is uh, fairly cyclical, and we're we're seeing another bad trend coming. Hey, hey Chuck, when we, when did that study end that you were just talking about? I don't have exact dates. Uh, most of that was in the revolver days for okay. Met, Metro Indiana PD. That's what um, I'm wondering. If that's why
9: the data is what it is, right? If that's what he's pulling. Um, and potentially the training at that time where a speedy reload of a revolver, uh, potentially they hit the guy a couple times and in the process of trying to reload, um, they, they made the determination, he don't need any more so they didn't fire any more post reload potentially, I don't know, uh, maybe, you know, the, the, I guess the, you know, urban legend where you know back in the day we only had six so they they spent more time aiming and less time shooting uh, so maybe they were just making better hits. Knowing they didn't have many bullets on board and perhaps their skill level to reload it was minimal so they had to make a count. I-, I don't fucking know when a cop back right. in the day. Uh, but I will tell you this, in, in my agency we've had numerous incidents where officers have gone through every single magazine on their belt. Um, we've had guys do multiple tack reloads in, the, in a, the same engagement sequence and, and so I think it is, I get what you're saying man and I, I'm not discount. I, I, certainly if a guy can't hit a fucking target at, at seven yards then I, I'm going to spend way more time with trigger press and and, uh, and and doing that stuff than I would worry about with reloads but at a certain point I, I think a guy, uh, if you if you show me a dude that can get after a speed reload uh, like a champ, a guy that can clear malfunctions on demand uh, with very minimal um, hesitation to, to be able to diagnose what he's gotten and then get it fixed, get it back in operation, uh, can run an efficient tack load uh, and his manipulations with the with the weapon drawing and that uh, you know presenting to the target everything is really clean. That's a dude that has put a lot of goddamn touches on the gun. And usually, what I see when I see that guy manipulating his pistol uh, is also a really tight target downrange. You know, what I mean, the two kind of go hand in hand. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think you and I know you're not saying don't spend time on reloads. I, I get what your point was. I'm I'm just saying that everything about the gun, right, I mean, it, it, it has to be fucking worked, and it has to be efficient, and it has to be, be, be done quickly, and obviously it has to be done uh, accurately, and, and so I, 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 again, I understand what you're saying, man, but I, I kind of, I dislike that analogy, uh, for lack of a better word, um, because it seems like it, uh, it's almost like sometimes guys will use that as an excuse to not want to train, and, and, and I'm, not, i am a
2: that's coming out sounding shitty, and I don't mean it to be that way. I hope you're not taking it that way. No, no, I, I totally agree with you. You know, that, that being, you know, when I'm at work, I'm carrying a Glock 17. Uh, I got plus two mag bases on my gun, so I got 20 rounds in the gun before the slide locks back. Me too, uh, me too dude. Me too, yeah. but if I'm honest, I, I, I carry a fucking J-frame Safeway. My wife says, go get a jug of milk. I grab
9: my fucking weight. I throw it in my pants, and I go to the fucking store, man.
2: Uh, I, I do. <laughs> I, I I was I was mowing the yard today, carrying a uh, Glock 43 in my waistband and my gym shorts with no uh, reload. It is what it is sometimes. But you know, if I'm going to go hunting for trouble, I've got Glock 17 extended mags. I got you know at least two extra reloads and open top mag pouch. I got a long gun of some sort. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather carry it and not need it than you know the other way around.
5: And in my last incident, I was doing something mundane. My wife asked me to in the safest part of America, probably. And that's when I run into seven guys that try to jump me. Boom. Only thing that probably got at me out of it was my big-ass canine dog that I was taking for a walk. Um, You have a gun? I had a Glock 19. Thank Um, goodness.
9: That's plenty plenty of gun for seven guys. Exactly.
5: So I would would not have wanted a J-frame. I would not have even wanted a, a 1911 with a seven-round magazine probably in that situation.
9: Um, I'll guarantee all 7 main fighters, you start putting brains on the concrete and some of them are going to run.
5: Yeah, so we'll, we have a, a situation now where people are physically larger. People are physically on more uh, stimulants and other sorts of drugs that alter their perception and their ability to feel pain than in past ages. So I think that does make a difference because I see a whole lot of folks coming into the emergency room that have been shot six, seven, eight times, and they're still fully fighting and conscious and awake.
2: I think uh, – I think part of what uh, what that comes down to, Gary, is uh, also most people just can't fucking shoot. Uh, handguns are tough to shoot well. You look at how much a guy like Roland practices to shoot. Guys like Bill practice to shoot, so they do well. Uh, I think the biggest part of the equation is getting those uh, like high upper chest hits, or you know, getting that good placement. Um, Having a system you can shoot well under duress is the biggest part of it. Um, I think that, you know, like you talked about, terminal ballistics, everything else uh, is, uh, you know, gravy, if you will. Whereas, uh, you know, just with handguns, even if you got the best handgun and the best ammunition, the average guy, you hand them a pistol, they just can't fucking shoot Even if I put them in a five-inch circle on the chest, the difference
5: between hitting one of those arteries or not can be a matter of a few tenths of an inch. And, you know, the difference between going home that night and not is often a matter of of very, very small differences in hits. Um, You know, we've got x-rays and CT scans of, of shots that look pretty dang good, and yet the guy was not incapacitated because it just missed the important stuff, even though it's in that five, six-inch circle in the middle of the chest between the nipples.
3: So that, that's where I've run into issues with my students is they've been inundated by all of the rest of the industry. And so when I go do a uh, shooting demo in a Shoot House, the, the biggest thing that they're amazed by is, wow, I'm amazed at how slow that was. And I'm like, dude, speed is the barometer of your accuracy. I'm asking for a three-inch, basically, accuracy standard uh, within this room. Uh, And I I will not be rushed. I will accept gunfire into my body. Uh, Like, like I would like all of you to think about uh, Lieutenant uh, Tom Maverick in uh, Top Gun, and when he grabs, uh, when he grabs uh, uh, a Showdown or whatever his name is, he, I will fire when I'm goddamn ready. Like you cannot make me shoot faster than I want to shoot. I will only ever, I will suck up hits to accept the sight picture that I know is gonna put the bullets where they're gonna fucking go. And so I'm a slow bitch. Like, comparatively to all of my other ninja, Facebook, but I can consistently on demand, wherever, drunk, bloody, tired, fucking, recently fucking annually raped. It doesn't fucking matter. If you put a gun in my hand, I will put the bullet where you need the bullet to go to fucking end that fight. And I don't care if it takes... 1.3, 2.3, 1.3, 2.3, or 0.8. I will fucking line up those sites and apply that proper trigger press based on my horrible-ass recall and flinch, and I'm going to put a bullet where you need to go because my country built me to fucking do that, and all this other shit is minutia. Like, I'm going to... Like, it, oh, you might have missed the artery. I'm not aiming for the artery. I'm aiming for, like... The center of the pump house. I want to shatter the ventricles of the actual heart and not bust the aorta out as it stems down into the major uh, into the major uh, you know, arteries going down through the through the vessels and into the femoral. I want to bust the pump house when I fire around. I yeah. want to fucking clean out the medulla oblongata uh, when I when I fucking fire around. That's that's the only acceptable hit for me, and I'm gonna shoot as slow as I need to shoot to make that fucking hit. Bill's laughing, but Bill's seen motherfuckers shoot faster than me. And then when I when we threw three inch plates out there, and that took my sweet ass time, I cleaned every motherfucker out there out. Like I told him the time standard was you have this many seconds to shoot this shit. What'd they all do? Shot faster than they could actually accurately shoot at that distance. I have the experience to understand what my sight picture looks like in any given situation and I will not fucking pull that trigger faster than I could pull it. So, if you're telling me ballistics are basically don't apply to me because I'm going to fucking shoot somebody straight like an arrow every time, then I'll just buy a bunch of ball ammo and call day Gary <laughs> if, well, if, that's, if that's the magic fucking that's the yeah. magic shit then uh, I ultimately
5: okay. uh, Roland that's ultimately what it is you have had so many tens of thousands of rounds down your gun each year that you have actually transcended ballistics and it doesn't matter what we hand you versus the cop who shoots 200 rounds oh, a year um, holy cow that's the difference between experience where Your shooting skill has become so second nature to you, so ingrained that, as you said, it doesn't matter, you know, what's happened to you. It doesn't matter if you're tired, shot, you know, wounded, uh, you know, whatever it is, you're going to make that hit. You could
3: say butt-raped. I said it.
5: Yeah, you could, (laughs) but I didn't want to go
3: there. So... (laughs) Oh, if I got butt-raped, you better believe somebody's getting filled in. So let's... Exactly. So that's what I'm talking about. That's why
5: we need to get guys training more, shooting more, so that the shooting part is out of the picture. That's not even the issue anymore. It's, then it becomes about mindset, and it becomes about um, uh, applying all of the other principles that they need to in that situation
3: to prevail. Boom. I, I, just, I, I just get sad when dude just like, you know – They they like go total rookie Bobby. They're like, who wants to go fast? And they're like, I want to go fast. Like, dude, you were at the Chicken Shack five minutes ago. I got it. You you want to go fast, but you know you you got to put in the reps. Like fast fast only matters when you're proficient. Proficient is the standard. Fast (laughs) is how (laughs) proficient you actually are. And like people to this day still don't understand that. That speed is only the barometer of your accuracy.
2: Roland, have you, uh, did you see that recent thing that Paul Howe posted someplace? Uh, some guy was giving him shit about shooting slow. Um, kind of resonates with what you're saying. Uh, uh, somebody posted something about it looked like he was Paul was just plinking, and then. Paul had to reply. That's right. That's that's how I shoot, and I plink people to death in Somalia, plink people to death here, plink people to death there. That's kind of what that looks like, um, you know. In, in a different way, he was saying almost exactly the same thing you were saying. Yeah, no,
3: I, I I'm kind of sort of the same way. Like, it, and maybe Bill Bill's seen me shoot. Uh, um, like I'm kind of like uh. Actual miniguns don't spin up. The second you pull the trigger, they shoot. Uh, it's actually when you come off the trigger, they cycle and spit the extra bullets out. So, so video games in Hollywood have it in, in reverse, that it's got to spin up to that speed. But as most people visualize a Hollywood minigun, that's kind of how I shoot. Like, I decide to pull trigger, and there's a lag, And that lag is my draw stroke and then my trigger prep based on I have a horrible recoil anticipation flinch. So that first shot has got to be perfect for me. So that first shot is slowed down. And when you break me down against Bill, against all the other guys, like I'm a full half second behind the pack. But once my target solution's lined up, (laughs) <laughs> then it's just bing, 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 bing. Like, I, I, I don't care after that point. So my gun handling to first shot are, I would say, substandard the super freaks on the internet right now. Uh, but my overall total score on, on par or better than the super freaks right now because my efficiency shot to shot in recoil management, working my eyes, moving the mechanics, like that piece of it, almost the... Uh, kind of ipsicky game portion of it is above average. So for the guys that are training for the mean streaks, uh, and I gotta get my gun out and get my .89 on, like, dude, I'm just not that guy. Like, I've never, I've never rushed the first shot because I've never planned to draw against a gun. Uh, it's a different mindset for my entire pistol training going back 15 years. I have never planned on from a surrender position with a dude pointing a gun at my head, actually trying to get a gun out of a fucking concealed holster and ending this fucking life before his brain tells him, that dude's drawing a gun on you. Pull the trigger. Like (laughs) that to me that's an almost asinine Situation: If you are that fucking bad that you could skin leather leather from concealment on a dude that has finger on trigger, looking for an excuse to fill you in and beat him to the mark, you're a bad motherfucker. And I ain't that dude. I'm not that guy. Uh, my my pistol draw, my pistol, everything is, is from a totally different universe than than that type of logic. Uh, as you as you would think about it. Anyway, we're we're divulging off of ballistics and going into philosophy, but yeah, that, that's my deal, man. I'm slow and steady wins the race overall. Over.
9: But but be clear that that your slow is not fucking slow. I, mean, I you know what I'm saying. You're you're still a one three zero oh, draw guy. That, that ain't fucking slow by anybody's fucking stretch, bro.
3: It feels slow when I see ninjas like you and Walt, like, knocking out the .89, .99. It makes It makes me, like, it hurts me down on my taint. I'm just going to let you know. That's fine.
7: Yeah, I'm not in a rush to get my shot off when I'm shooting against you, bro. I'm just I'm anxious to get
9: the victory, so I, I hurry it up and then and I fucking lose.
3: Uh, Sa- car the car ran real good today and, ran, and what should I do with my hands right now? I don't know.
5: Um, <laughs> sadly, I must now sign off. I apologize, but I have to go and uh, take care of some other stuff. Um,
1: well, thanks for joining us.
5: It was my pleasure. I, before we leave, I just want to put out uh, prayers and good thoughts for the officers in Dallas right now. It sounds like a shit sandwich over there and I'm yeah. hoping that uh, they do okay.
1: Yeah. And you are welcome anytime you want to come back
5: thank you Matt thanks everybody uh, good
3: conversation uh, take care we'll G-Ray you. come back come hang out with us this is what I we will do it's I will indeed you guys take care alright have a good one buddy okay, bye
1: there are going to be yeah. a lot of upset people now well in quick summation uh, a lot of uh, sacred cows were killed that was uh, they were slaughtered that was good stuff Gary provided a lot of really cool information and uh I look forward to having them return. You can find us at primaryandsecondary.com. We are obviously on YouTube. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher Radio. Uh, Feel free to subscribe. Give us some likes. Spread the word. Let people know about the stuff that you learned tonight. So I will talk to you guys very shortly. 18 plus.